The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Up, giddy up, wolf pack. This is failure to stop Com Center. Now with Jonathan Bates, because Drew Breezy has been lost indeed. Indeed, Drew is gone, and we will miss him, but not for long. His life's like that. Failure to Stop is a family of podcasts. It starts on Monday with comedy with Eric and Jay Darrell White. And then on Tuesday, it's Mystery, Madness, and Mayhem with Andre up late. Wednesday is all the news that you need. And then Thursday is Com Center now with Jonathan Bates. Now that Drew has been declared legally dead, didn't take very long. And then on Friday, we've got Failure to Stop, the big show. We're going to continue the Daniel Holtzclaw case, I believe, tomorrow. Eric is Eric Tanzi is with me here tonight. Eric, how the heck are you doing? Doing good, man. Just came off of an amazing last call episode, and uh, I know feeling it dropped, good, warm it dropped in on the end of that one, which was weird. Um, but in weird, in a weird way, it was sort of the fulfillment of a dream for me. Do you know what I'm talking about? <sighs> dreams do come true on Feller's yeah, Stop Podcast dreams. channel. Uh, Eric, do you remember your birthday last year, last July? Mm. I mean, I, I know I had it. Yeah, no, do, I do did. You remember how, do you remember how you spent most of the day just bottling rum because you had that order? <laughs> Is that what I did? Well, yeah, but let me ask you this: Why would I know that? Why did you know that? Because yeah, I didn't. I didn't draw your book till August, right? So how could I have known what you were doing on your birthday? Yeah, strange. So that memory doesn't make sense. Well, okay, so dreams coming true, and uh, me having intimate knowledge of your life. I'm going to explain this, and I'm going to explain why me being on a podcast with you is a big deal. Okay. Uh, first of all, I've always been a fan of you and Failure Stop, but uh, more more insidiously. Uh, I was listening to Last Call last year, the year before, and uh, this was after you'd had some personnel changes over there. And you were doing Last Call on your own, and you were kind of a, you were kind of not having a good time. I remember I was listening to one episode, and you're like, you know, you're just like, I'm out here, you know, uh, like a true hero living my life out on the limb. And okay. I thought to myself, you know, I'm talking to you, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, you know, I could talk to Eric Tanzi. And I thought, what the hell, I'll send him a message. I said, you know, Eric, if you just need someone to talk to during the show, I know it's crazy the idea that you could have someone from the Wolfpack just on your show just so that you would have someone to talk back and forth to. But I think I'm somebody that could do that. So you said, call me. So I called you uh, on your birthday, and we talked for about half an hour, and you seemed to think it was a good idea. And oh. I did too. Now, this was on the heels of the Craig Dulesky, uh Supervan special, which I don't think that you were terribly happy with because Craig Dulesky, despite being as rich as like uh, Solomon, had terrible yeah. internet. It was worse than Andrea's. Craig, <laughs> I do remember that. Craig being extremely wealthy, Craig did not have like a wealth of like interesting things going on inside of him. Although we miss Craig and we do mourn his passing to wherever he is now. And yeah. anyway, so we were all set up. You said, let's do it. Let's do last call. So like I bought a link cable for the camera. I already had some other okay. stuff I needed to do podcasting with. I called my internet company. I said, soup up my internet. I'm not going to look like this jabroni Craig Dulesky because I'm going to be on, I'm going to be on failure to stop. And then, uh, and then, so I get, I get everything ready. I like put rush orders and everything and I'm all ready to go. And I got it all set up and I'm sweating every day for a week. And then, uh, and then last call comes on and it's that fucking guy who walked across Antarctica and not me. Uh, so I don't remember any of that conversation that you and I had. I, 
everybody always asked me like, well, how did you get in touch with John and Bates? And literally you know, I just said like, he was the artist for my book. Yeah. You didn't even know that I was in your life a whole month before that talking to you uh, and thinking about you and getting ready to podcast with you. And, you know, obviously you know, it paid off because I have everything I needed to do comm center like six months yeah. later. But uh, there was a time there where I was aspiring to be on last call with you. Now it's yeah. okay because I know that you don't want some, just some guy from, from the Wolfpack to be on last call. Oh, wait. Oh, that's what dead leg is. So, oh. so when, when you hired on dead leg, you know, that didn't, that didn't twist the knife in the old wound. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm a, I'm a loser. You know, it's hard for me to keep up with, but yeah, I, I'm a disappointment to many all the time. Not, it's not the end of the story because when I went, to, went up to go see, you gave me free drinks. And uh, yeah. when we were, when we were eating lunch together, you like gave me like some fried calamari or something. So also, I you gave me a podcast of my own, so I feel like maybe yeah. I screwed up. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I've done my part since then. Although <laughs> it is a running joke in my life, in this scene of my 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 life, my crazy life, that every day I'm a disappointment to somebody. So it's like either, you know, because our podcast team has like, I don't know what, like six or seven people on it now. Like, more, more and more all the time. I don't know if more, you heard this last night, but I, list, I listed Duke Tansy as officially on the roster now. So. Yeah, you know, so it's like, Maybe I'm paying too much attention to one host and not another host, or maybe I'm like uh, getting this, you know, somebody's getting a care package and the other one's not. And then like, or like maybe I'm paying attention, too much attention to my bar and not enough attention to my distiller. And then sometimes I'm, I'm paying too much attention to my distiller and not the bar. And then, you know, I don't know. It's just like every day I wake up and I'm like, man, who have I disappointed today? Like who's I, mad at Eric? I actually, today? I actually feel the same way. I've been telling people that lately that like with everything that's been going on with, me moving and everything with drew being gone this week and like even today like i had to go to the vet to pick up an animal and then i couldn't go home for whatever reason like just any animal or like was it my, your animal my like, dog, my dog but, like but satanic I, rituals or what no but i sent you a picture of my dog years ago before i realized you don't care about dogs so i sent you a picture of my dog once and you just you didn't even respond so uh yeah. that's that's more deep john tansy background that you weren't aware of but anyway so that's why i don't i don't talk about my dog with you because i know you don't care um but but anyway, so no, but I, I'm disappointing people a lot lately, too. And now with Drew being officially declared dead, uh, he's yeah. in a castaway situation right now somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. A plane he, went down over D.C. Yeah. with a bunch of Trump and in, uh, donors. <laughs> uh, might, I have may seen not have been one of them. I've seen Drew in his uh, his red cap. So that probably was him. But uh, welcome to Com Center. I'm happy to have you. Uh, I appreciate everything that you do for Com Center, even if sometimes that only means staying out of our way so that we could fail on our own. That has been fun. Uh, this was our 23rd episode, so we're coming along. Uh, with that in mind, I'm going to play some voicemails. I actually don't have any of the equipment that Drew has. He went away and didn't care about the show or the fact that I don't have any of that stuff. So I'm going to do this in a roundabout way. I'm going to play a couple of voicemails of your own for that, Eric. Yeah, I am. And by the way, Drew is literally on a cruise. So it's he's not gone from the network. I don't need like a whole bunch of messages like, what happened to Drew? Well, well we don't know like, that. Literally, he's on a cruise. My, my point is every time you look up cruises in the news, like what happens? Okay, you see like man, man lost overboard on cruise. Dude, have uh, you seen the new one that's like all over TikTok where the guy jumps off and then a fucking shark takes him under? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, see, that was Drew, like hypothetically is what I'd say. Or like cruise ships are lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Cruise ships are hitting icebergs. Cruise ships are torpedoed by 
German U-boats, like something's always happening bad on a cruise. I think the chances of Drew coming back are probably less than 50%. And I know that the fans want to wait around to see how it plays out, but I, I, it's better for me and it's better for failure to stop. If I move on now, I can't spend a week paralyzed in grief over the loss of Drew. I did that on Monday and Tuesday, so I'm solid now. So okay. I, I, I've got the show. We're good to go. Drew doesn't, you know, whatever happens to Drew happens. If he shows up, I'll be happy. If he doesn't show up, you know, I've emotionally moved on. Uh, I've got two, got two voicemails to play for you. Let's hear it. Hey, guys. It is Elizabeth just giving you an update. Ashley's family has heard the and seen the YouTube broadcast that Jonathan did for uh, Memorial Day. And they are so appreciative of getting her story out there. Anyway, thank you very much for putting that out there. Her family is very pleased. I hope you guys are doing well. And take care. Bye. Howdy, gents. Calling in the middle of the work week, going to my fourth job, fifth job. I'm losing count already, and it's Tuesday. But just wanted to do a special shout-out to Micah brother from another mother keeping my dms frosty fun and hilarious uh he's definitely keeping me entertained um but just finished last thursday's show i'm not a subject matter expert i have zero expertise when it comes to being in a gun battle or in a shootout in the military sense or in the policing world but what civilians really need to understand just the the process that a mind goes through when you go from trying to kill somebody who's trying to kill you to then needing to flip a switch like a light switch to then save that person military is definitely on a different scale and a different spectrum when it comes to shooting and killing the enemy but in the civilian in the u.s as an officer you have to end the threat you have to stop you have to all of a sudden just make that that switch to then i can't kill this person anymore i need to render aid and save them and that's something that the civilian world really just needs to try to grapple and grasp mentally. And if my retarded C student mind can can go there, I, I have confidence that a majority of the population here can do that too. So love the show, guys. Looking forward to Thursday. Uh, it's my one day off this week, so I'm going to try to join you all in the chat. So, Eric, have you ever had to, like, uh, as a police officer, now I know I've read your book, so I already know the answer to this, but, like, you know, jump through the air, blow a guy's head off, and then when his head's flying through the air, you know, run over to his body and do CPR on him so that you don't get indicted? Uh, well, it's really funny when he's, he brought that up, like, for the civilians. So uh, I went through this course of training in the military that lasted for for a long time anybody's been to ranger school or small unit tactics well uh, now hold on i thought you were in the 415th laundry battalion didn't you just do laundry for the yeah. officers over there well i was in a tactical toilet paper dispenser unit okay. we dispensed uh, toilet paper to the front lines um you know four ply to the officers one ply to the infantry mm-hmm. and uh yeah and and a stick to the engineers um, but uh <laughs> No, uh, if you've been to ranger school or you've been to like small unit tactics and any kind of special operations capacity, um, you know, for nine weeks, you'll do you'll do training on what's you know on ambushes. And so part of an ambush training and, and it's it's like an indoctrination phase where you'll clear you'll clear the area as you move through it. And as long as you shoot whatever's moving, we call it the mad minute. So really what happens is, is like when somebody comes into your kill area, somebody initiates gunfire and then everybody on the line um, shoots the kill area for a sustained, uh, a sustained rapid 
you know, rapid sustained fire for one minute. It's called the mad minute. And then you stop and then you listen. And if anybody on the line hears movement or anything, they reinitiate that gunfire for 30 seconds. And then you stay quiet again. And then for a third time, if you hear anything, you go for another uh, like 20 seconds or 15 seconds of sustained fire. And then you assault uh, the, you know, you assault the target. So everybody gets up, moves up on a line. And as you come up onto the target, anybody that's moving or doing anything, you can shoot them as you're clearing the line. And then when you move past them, um, you secure the area, then everybody runs back. And when you come back, that's when you have to give aid. So on your way forward, if they're still moving, you can keep shooting them until they're dead, until you've crossed over them. But the minute that you come back, you have to give them aid. And so you do this over and over and over again. And so you, you know, you, you play shoot these guys, you run up, you kick their gun out of their hands, you know, you shoot them in the stomach or whatever, and then you keep moving and you just do this over and over and over again until it's second nature. Literally at one point you do this in, in special operations side as part of one of the ritual things, you have to do this for 24 hours. So you start this at like 7 PM and it goes until 7 PM the next night. And you're just doing it over and over again. Um, just ambush after ambush, after ambush, tired, hungry and the whole nine yards. So at the final part of the police Academy, we had to respond to some kind of a weird thing. We were literally like in the classroom. They said, everybody get up, grab a blue gun, grab this. You know, they do the whole, the, the whole thing with your, your duty belt. And they said, everybody get in the car. We're going out to the range. And, there, and there's a, you know, like a surprise training activity that you guys have to do right now. So everybody's driving down there and trying to figure out what's going on. We get there and they're like, everybody stay in this room. You're going to stage in this area. And then we're going to call you out one by one. And then they would call you out and then they would, they kept everybody separate. So nobody knew what happened once you left the door. It's like you yeah. left the door, they never came back. And so it was my turn to come back. It was my turn to go through the door and I come through the door and they're like, all right, it's an active shooter. Uh, that right there is a gas station and there's been a shooting inside the gas station and have fun. You're now the first, first officer on scene. So I'm like, what this makes no sense so you, and blew, I start walking you blew up. up the gas station and declared a uh, broken arrow and the whole situation yeah. was a shambles and that just was about bad. just about so i'm approaching this fake gas station and, and we have sim rounds right and they hurt like hell you know yeah. and so i get engaged by by the enemy and so a little gunfight and it happens and i you know i'm shoot moving and communicating and do, just you know i was in my zone at that point and i lay down both the dudes without taking a single round to myself but as I lay them down, I walk up on the one dude and I pick his firearm up and I rack the slide back, drop the magazine, and I chuck the pistol out into the to the woods. And then I move, I cross his legs and cross his feet and roll him over onto his stomach or roll him over his stomach, cross his arms, cross his feet. And I move up to the next guy. Nobody's saying anything to me. I'm not, I'm like in another world. And I go up and I take his round. I drop it out. I drop my knee onto him, roll him over, cross his arms, cross his backs. And I get done and then uh, and I start moving to the gas station and they call it the scenario and they're like, yo, what the fuck? Just, what did you just do? You just want Fallujah like, on his ass. Yeah. They were, I was like, they're always like, well, and they're like, bro, this ain't fucking exactly. They're like, this isn't Fallujah. Like you can't just run up and like kick combatants and then throw their shit into the woods. And I was like, you like permanently damaged his civil rights. He can't even get them back. They're, they're, they're even a full team of lawyers working on him through the day and night. He'll never have his full civil rights restored. Um, I had a, I had a case like that once. We used to do hostage rescue uh, tactics drills at the prison where I worked at. We had simulation rounds. And this is why I'm not on. I never made the SWAT team at the prison. But the, so everybody gets a chance to kind of try out for it. 
So uh, we flashbang, go in, and uh, I've got a simulation, and uh, so we've got two inmates holding an officer hostage. Shot all three of them. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, oh, sorry, I got scared, but, you know, situation's secure, so what if I just killed my coworker? Uh, two, <laughs> well, sometimes two, you got to shoot the coworker so that he slumps over, yeah. so that you kill two bad guys. Yeah, so unfortunately, like I hit the hit the bad guys, like you know, kind of it was fringy, where it was kind of like in the flesh of the outside of their shoulder. But man, I think it was a headshot to the officer. So, now, so I watched a TikTok the other day, and it was a pr- ex prisoner, and he was saying that like you know, there's a thing that you know you got to know in prison is that us inmates we run the jail, we it's, we're in charge. You know, sometimes the 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 sheriff's department guys, you know, they think that they run the prison. They, they don't. We choose who goes home and who doesn't every single night. We all number them 10 to 1. And if we want to hold one of them hostage, you know, we'll do it if we want to. Like, how much how, how much of that is true? Well, it's funny that you asked that question, and I'm glad you asked it. And this uh, last voicemail guy gave a, a shout out to Micah, who does corrections. But we also have a show on Patreon called Fair to Stop Hard Time, which is just for correction officers. But we got a decent following. But I'm going to tell you, Eric, uh, when you're outnumbered 100 to 1 and you're in a rec yard and uh, you have uh, inferior equipment and inferior training and, and inferior coworkers, uh, yeah, if they wanted to, you know, they could they could do whatever they want to you. Uh, we've mentioned on the show a few times that like the the idea that you're in control of the prison is an illusion. They, they if they wanted to unionize, in other words, or exert their control, I mean, it's essentially what a riot is. And the only reason why it doesn't happen more often is because inmates don't want to get, they don't want to pick up extra charges, they don't want to get hurt or killed. There's power play dynamics that are going on that once the traditional authority breaks down, you know, who's in charge? Well, is it this gang or is it that gang or is it this group? Or I can just see like myself being in prison, like landing myself in prison for some kind of crazy thing. And I'm just like, unite us, unite the clans. Like remember in Braveheart? I do remember that, and and you're, when you see yourself in prison, that's like a that's a vision of the future because you just seem like a kind of guy that you're either going to wind up in American prison or um, like Chinese prison at some point, depending on how things go. If if Joe probably Biden like gets a, reelected, you know, we'll see kind of how that goes. Probably a Canadian prison because my kids yeah. are competing in Montreal in a, in a few months, and we have to go over there, and I'm not faxed. And you know, uh, I was yeah, already but, talking about having like a fake fax card to go over there. Luckily, I found out I don't have to be faxed anymore. But like, I was fully prepared to like. You know, I'm like, I might go to Canadian prison for having a fake fax card. I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not going to miss this tournament and I'm not going to miss, and I'm not going to get faxed. So, yeah, that would have been exciting for you to go to Canadian prison. We actually, uh, someone else that we, uh, that follows the show works at a, a Raman center and it's spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Oh. So it's super French. Anyway, we have oh, a, so a big, big following in Canada on this show. I don't know if you knew that. A um, couple other things, just uh, housekeeping around here. Um, I've been getting uh, memes and uh, messages and pictures that's nothing but bee shit for weeks now. Um, I know that you guys all know that I'm terrified of bees. Uh, I did want to share one. This is uh, from an Instagram account. It's some Dutch comedian. His name is uh, Theo Vaughn. But uh, he had an interesting take on. Oh, have you heard that name? Uh, (laughs) I'm going to just play his take on bees, if you don't mind. Bee. Think about a bee, man. They 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 come around, bruh, and they fuck you up. <laughs> Imagine if somebody ran over by you. You're hanging out at the park. You're having a little cut of ham or something. You know, you may be having a couple ganger snaps or whatever, doing something natural. You're having a lemonade, bruh, but you cut it down with water a little because it's too sugar. 
and somebody runs up, bruh, a little dude, bruh, runs up, pulls out a fucking knife, fucking pokes you like that, and then he dies. <laughs> That's a B. <laughs> Have you ever heard that comedian before? I think he's very big. I, the, the I love, I love the alum. Yeah, I, I've watched a, a few of his things now, and, and I know the listeners at home, I know over 150% of our audience is on Spotify, but the look on his face when he's like, that's a B, it's like he has this look on his face like he just solved a huge equation, like he deduced, yeah. he nailed what a B is, and he, he pretty much has it, in my opinion. Can I tell you a B story? Do we have time for that or no? We have all the time in the world until my until one hour from now. So, yes, go ahead. Okay, I'll make it quick. Um, I actually made the newspaper back in the day, but we I, I used to have a 1977 Plymouth Valari station wagon. Was my oh, first my gosh, car. that's a nice car. It was car. orange in color. Yeah, oh, huge, should... tr- straight six. We had uh, lifted it and put 31 1050s. We had to cut the fender wells to make the tires fit. So it was a lifted station wagon in the swamps of Florida. Um, and uh, this was, you know, in the nineties and so, or not, yeah, maybe like early two thousands. So um, we used to go trail riding all through the swamps of Florida. And that was like pretty much what we did like every day of our lives. I, 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 my, my transportation, like for everywhere I went, because I started driving at like 13 or 14, um, I would go through the woods everywhere I went, like via my dirt bike or, um, my station wagon or whatever. I would, I had trails that could take me to church trails that could take me to food line trails that could take me to my friends' neighborhoods. I mean, trails that could take me all the way to the school. Um, and there's trails everywhere because it's all hunting land and, and swamps. And so, um, we were going to church. No, we, we were not going to church, but we were on a trail that you could like exit the trail and go to a church. Um, or you could keep, continue on the trail and it would take you to a gas station eventually, which is where we like to, to go and get snacks and stuff. And so I think we were in a little convoy. It was a Jeep, a pickup truck and my station wagon. I had all the girls in my station wagon, of course, Actually. Course, naturally yeah. and we're all going on the string and when we got to the intersection where you could go left and go towards the church or station to the right and head to the gas station um one of the guys saw a deep mud pit that sometimes can get like real like it's kind of hard to figure out where the ruts are and he wasn't trying to get into the ruts he was trying to stay above the ruts and so he was going real slow and i was in my station wagon and i was like man fuck those ruts dude i got a station wagon and so i veer off to the left kind of off the trail to go around them and I get stuck on a tree and I'm like, I look down at my thing to like hit reverse to rock it off of this tree, but I'm, I'm bottom, I'm framed out at this point. Yeah. And when I look back up, I cannot see out the windshield. I was covered in bees. The inside of my car was covered in bees. Um, the girls and everything, we exited the car. I ran and dove into the mud head first. The girls tried to get into the truck. They jumped in the back of the truck. Everybody was about to leave me. Bees were coming in the air vents of the truck. I oh jumped God. out oh and God. I how got did they know how things. to get through. I don't know, but we all ended up in the hospital and, um, and, and, uh, I didn't go to the hospital. I was the only one, but EMS had to show up. We went to the, the church as we were on the way to the church, everybody had stripped down naked. You so this to. church was closed and every, we were all shaking on the door, screaming an agony. The girls had no tops on, no bras. Mm-hmm. So when you're getting stung with bees, I, I didn't know this until then, but you take off all your clothes. Like that's you have your, to, that's B law. Yes. 
That's what you do. So I was standing there. Um, I had ripped off like my pants. I had pulled my pants back up as we were driving down the road. I got strung on the dick. Anyway, um, the girls had to go to the hospital. It made the news. We'd ran over the largest yellow jacket nest since like the 1800s. And, um, yeah. No, that's, that's where they, it. that's where they hide and wait for man. That same thing happened to me, except I we didn't have a died. car. I didn't have a car full of girls. I was, it was just, I was just left to lie, die alone in the woods until a neighbor came and rescued me. So it was the, it was the worst cool. night of my life. Um, I got stung in the penis and I, my eyes were swelled shut. My nose was swelled shut. Uh, I could barely breathe. Have you and, noticed um, that most of your stories are like that? Cause then didn't you have to do some rucksacking where like your, your, you know, your yeah, penis space yeah. basically became a scab. At some my point. penis has just been abused. Um, but, but my tickets swelled you also, up so bad. You pooped your swimming suit. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've done a lot of things. Uh, but my, my mom, because I couldn't see, she was putting, um, baking soda on all the wounds because like i said draws out Dress the, up the venom. yep you also the have to put calamine on there yeah okay so the one on my penis my mom was like holding my penis in her hand and rubbing the baking powder onto my penis because my dad wouldn't do it and um i could barely see but i could see enough to say like man could somebody take a picture of my penis because it's bigger now than it'll probably ever be again Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the swelling, but uh, that's my B story, man. Well, that's because you didn't know about all the terrible stuff that was yet to happen to your penis. So, I mean, that's that's kind of rough. Um, I'm gonna try giving uh, Jason. We don't we don't do outbound calls on this show, but I'm gonna try calling him to see if he answers. Is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. Okay, and and you won't be able to hear or talk to him. Uh, well, I think you'll be able to hear him, but you won't be able to talk to him. But oh, I'll let awesome. him know that I'll let him know that you're wearing his uh, the approved T-shirt. So we're going to give him a call, see if he answers. He's on. Hello. Hey, Jason, this is John with Comp Center. How you doing? Hey, John. How we doing, brother? Doing all right. How's uh, things over at uh, One More and I'm out of here? Uh, a little little shaky right now. I had a little bit of an incident this past Friday. And, uh, you're, on, you're, uh, on, you're on Comp Center, just so you know. I don't want you to discuss the details of Rob's firing live on the air, so... <laughs> uh, we can only be so lucky. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I broke five ribs and chipped the vertebrae on Friday. So oh my it's been gosh! A little bit of a, what happened? A little bit of a rough go. What happened to you? L- l- little boating accident. Uh, I was helping a buddy try to tie up his boat, and I, I stepped down and missed a step and fell right into his cutty about five foot, right onto my side. So, oh, were there? I was, uh, I was, uh, I was on the other end of the uh, the EMS world. Oh, that's. That's never any fun. I don't. I don't normally uh, trust firefighters. I have been rescued by one once. How were there? <laughs> were there any bees there? Did any harm come to your to your penis? We were just talking about that. That's why I bring that up. Not just because I'm especially interested. I, I thought I've actually thought of you because. Uh, oh no, that's not. Good. I, I I heard a buzzing and I was like, oh shit, John John threw some bees at me and that's what knocked me down. Now it's funny that you talk about bees. Uh, did, what, did you get a load of the the bee situation with me? Did you hear that story about how I was almost killed yeah. by bees? Apparently, Eric was almost killed by bees too. Eric is here. He's wearing uh, your approved, uh, paid for merchandise. Your your legally licensed merchandise. So he's he's here representing <laughs> you today. I appreciate that. All right. Well, we're gonna get to a case uh, in Barron County, Wisconsin. A couple of police officers were lost there, Jason. I, I know that you know the case, but uh, I'll go ahead and let you go. Thanks for writing a phone call to Com Center. It's one more than we haven't had in some episodes, so I appreciate it. <laughs> you, I appreciate it, guys. You you invite me back sometime, okay? 
Most definitely. And we'll invite Eric back too if he's if he's done being mad at us. Uh he's too mad and disappointed and being disappointing. So he'll catch up with you <laughs> at some point. Well you guys have a great show and uh thanks for the call, brother. All right, I love you. Love you too. Bye. See ya. Oh, that Kiefer. What a fun guy. Uh, um, he is fun. But uh, I did get their shirt in the mail. And that was really, really cool. Yeah. So I have, one, uh, I have one more call to Abby. I'll call her, but I want to call her at the end because I sent her this case and I wanted to, she usually asks some pretty good questions and I want to have at least one caller uh, that has uh, some good stuff. Actually, before I do that, I will call, um, I will call one more person. I'm going to call uh, Micah because he literally calls every single week. So like, you know, we talked about B-Law earlier. It literally is not comm center unless Micah calls. So we're going to do an outbound call to him. Hopefully he answers. It's not a good sign. Two rings. I never answer on the first ring. You do this thing where I call you and then you don't answer. Then you call me right back. It's a real power move. Strange flex, I know, but it's a power move. Yeah, I I respect it. Hey, Micah, can you hear me? I can. How are you? Doing all right. I was about to hang up on you because you let me go to the last ring. You just like making me feel nervous or what? Yeah. Yeah. I want to keep you on the edge of your seat. I appreciate it. How are the perimeter checks going this week? <laughs> I didn't have to do any this week. People have actually been doing them. Okay. So you're you're just on the inside. How's everything else going for you? Good. Good. It's been been hectic i mean dealing with a little more stupidity than usual but yeah have that's you, uh, just part for the course i'm actually in a hailstorm right now so oh good run around outside it's it's like weather's version of bees stinging you so that would be good <laughs> uh have you heard anything good on patreon lately i don't know if maybe you uh, have <laughs> <laughs> well i've i've been enjoying your uh, nurse episodes on hard times that's that was from some, probably some of the best and most awful things I've heard of recent memory. Yeah, that was some fucked up shit. Uh, Tansy, I don't know if you heard that uh, story, but she talks about uh, inmates like uh, performing surgery on their own penises and doing things like that. So oh, I can't wait. It's definitely worth you listening to. I know that you're too busy disappointing people to listen to my stuff. But uh, if you ever well, catch- you know what? the funny part about that is, is I don't have Patreon. I I should gift you a membership for your birthday next month, right? <laughs> oh, I gotta I've gotta sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> I'm gonna do that for you, buddy. Um, Micah, we'll go ahead and let you go. Thanks for being a part of the show. Uh, thanks for getting your phone fixed. Uh, we will talk to you soon, buddy. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Thanks. All right, Bye. All right. So, Eric, uh, I don't know if you've heard, we've got a case uh, from April out of Barron County, Wisconsin. I don't mean to be, bring the mood down, but unfortunately, we had two line of duty deaths. That's what we're here to talk uh, about. Damn. Uh, some new officers. We had two police officers, uh, Emily Breidenbach from Tech Police and uh, Officer Hunter Shield from Cameron Police. They're kind of two villages close to each other in Wisconsin. I was out that way last October. Wisconsin is uh, kind of a beautiful state. Cows are conspicuously missing from America's dairy land, but people there are nice. And um, one of the things that was interesting about this case, aside from the fact that we lost, you know, two police officers and, you know, we're thinking about them and their families was, is when, when I was listening to the audio, how much their comm center reminds me of mine. I work in a very small agency. I don't work for Raleigh. I don't work for Tampa, um, or Hillsbury County. I'm kind of out here in the fringe. I'm on, on the, in the middle of nowhere. And when I was listening to this agency, it reminded me a lot of mine. Um, and uh, so I, I wanted to talk about not only the, the, Duty, the officers are lost in the line of duty, but also the stuff going on in communications. And with that in mind, 
Eric, you know, uh, police in, in Raleigh are pretty separate from communications. They don't do a lot of cross-training or overlap. So I wanted to bring in another 911 dispatcher, former 911 dispatcher. She's been on the show before. She was on our Louisville bank robbery episode. I'm going to bring onto the show Carly and Beignet, the dog who has more follows than I have on Instagram. Uh, Carly, how are you doing today? We're doing pretty good. There's Beignet. That's the mascot of... Uh, of Com Center, Eric. Eric doesn't know that we have a dog mascot. He would forbid that normally, but uh, we do have a dog mascot. Um, Carly, we're gonna uh, go ahead and uh, just start with the body cam footage. We're gonna have Eric kind of break that down, and then we'll check in with you uh, on some of the uh, the radio and uh, phone stuff from Barron County Sheriff's Office. So, Eric, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and start playing some video here. I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right. So uh, there's uh, some audio here from Law and Crime Network. Um, they basically will introduce the case, what happened and when, who was involved, all the principal parties. And uh, you'll know what happened going into the case. Two Wisconsin police officers are shot and killed after pulling over a suspect wanted for missing child support payments. Officials now calling him the epitome of evil. Wisconsin Department of Justice released dozens of photos and videos to Law and Crime Network showing what led up to the deadly shooting on April 8th. It happened in Barron County, about two hours east of Minneapolis. Shatek Police Officer Emily Breidenbach and Cameron Police Officer Hunter Scheel pulled over an SUV driven by 50-year-old Glenn Douglas Perry. Perry was armed with a rifle. Prior to the shooting, officials say Perry was displaying concerning behavior after a messy divorce. In an interview post-shooting, Perry's ex-wife told officials she believed he was bipolar and schizophrenic. She also noted he had multiple guns. In an interview with detectives, Perry's son said he, quote, talks pretty bad about cops. His son also noted Perry, quote, trains to kill them, more or less, with a gun range built on his property. Just days before the shooting on March 30th, a civil bench warrant was issued for Perry after he went months without paying child support. Just one day before the shooting, the Barron County Sheriff sent out a warning email about Perry's concerning behavior and mental health issues. The email instructed law enforcement officers to use, quote, extreme caution if approaching Perry as he carried a handgun at all times. According to a report by the Barron County District Attorney, 32-year-old Officer Emily Breidenbach stopped Perry's vehicle on April 8th during a routine patrol shift. Breidenbach did not immediately pull him over because of the recent warning email. Instead, she called for backup. 23-year-old Officer Hunter Scheel responded. The Barron County DA's report states that Breidenbach called out commands to Perry after she pulled him over. Nearly immediately, he grabbed an AR-15 and began firing. According to the DA's report, Breidenbach fired two shots before Perry fatally shot her. Scheel also fired his weapon, but also was shot and killed by Perry. Officials say Perry was shot in the leg. He later died at the hospital. Per the Barron County District Attorney's final report, both Breidenbach and Scheel were justified in their deadly use of force. The report also states that Perry obtained all the weapons used in the shooting and later recovered in his vehicle and at his home legally. Reporting for Long Crime Network, I'm Sierra Gillespie. Okay, so a couple of things there. Number one, I guess, uh, learn how to pronounce Minneapolis. I don't mean to nitpick, but I mean, everything else on this, the case that she describes is pretty well accurate from the same information that I got from the Department of Justice in Wisconsin. 
Um, it's almost laughable that they have to tack on that part that these two officers killed were justified in the use of force against this Glenn Perry. Uh, Tansy, just what are your initial takes on on that? Uh, I mean, the one thing I can never get past, and I have to talk about it, is a routine patrol. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't understand like what that is. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I hate when that, they use that word, like a routine traffic stop, a routine patrol. It's like none of this shit is like routine. There's like, there's no like at ten o'clock, I have a routine of pulling cars over. You know what I mean? It's like, it, 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 you know, when you say stuff like routine, it makes it as if sound like you have a plan or like. You know, my routine yeah. is, is that I go for a jog. So therefore I know it's coming. Uh, so I, you know, I don't like the word routine. I'm I think it downplays kind of what's going on here. Um, you know, while patrolling, she encountered him, you know, um, but, uh, well, yeah. what, what makes me mad is it just shows, you know, how much media doesn't, doesn't understand that. Like, why would they ask what she was out there doing? She's out there, you know, looking for criminals, we they had like a, a bolo, you know, be on the lookout for this subject. He's dangerous. He's he's having problems. He's got mental health issues, which I know is a whole other deal for you, Tansy. But basically what happens is she's in she's near Cameron and she's driving south towards her home village of Shatek, her home city there. And she sees the guy and they know that they need to do a well-being check based on what's going on with him mentally. He's got this child support warrant and uh, just some other concerns. So they've got PC to pull him over. She uh, she sees him and she doesn't just engage him right away. She gets back up from Cameron PD, Officer Hunter Shield. And it's, and it, we'll play on the audio here uh, that every police officer in the county knows about this guy and they, they have opinions about him. That's something that's else that's kind of different maybe from Raleigh, although I know Eric. Yeah, you, know, that, you, you knew who was there. Go interesting ahead. Interesting to a small, like, because you talked about this being like small agency and you work for a small agency dispatch. And, you know, I think that, that city folks should ha have to kind of venture to the country to understand like the country and to rural America, because I think there is a real disconnect between rural America and big cities. And a lot of decisions are made from rural uh, from rural cities. I mean, uh, major cities versus rural America. Um, and, you know, in rural America, like where I live in the middle of nowhere, uh, we know everything. And the cops know exactly who has a warrant and who doesn't. And you can put a bolo out for things like that. And you can take time out of your day to go find somebody and serve a warrant on something like not paying your child support in a big city like Raleigh, this dude would go completely under the radar because every everybody that has a warrant is known to carry a gun. And, 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 you know, there's so many warrants in your beat bag that honestly not paying child support isn't like priority because you've got domestic abusers, child molesters, gang members, drug dealers, and, mm -hmm. you know, the list goes on that are more important than, than the deadbeat dad that didn't pay his uh, child support in a civil, uh, civil matter. And yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. um, so, you know, the fact that in, in rural America, that they, they, they know that they have this kind of a, a suspect and they can dedicate that time and care to it is a lot different than something I'm used to. There, there was that, but also there was the use caution information. Uh, you heard mention in that report that basically uh, this guy hates cops. He's out yeah. hunting for them. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, when, information. When you are in a small county and you have a person like that, uh, 
it doesn't take long before, first of all, that person uh, encounters law enforcement either through the phone or through, you know, a field unit like you. And uh, you get to know them real fast and you know who they are. And when you're dispatched, you can put that in their location notes and their address or on their name card saying, hey, this guy hates cops. He's a sovereign citizen, whatever he is. And you can you can have a special bulletin attached to him just for his information. It doesn't have to be based on anything legally durable. He doesn't have to be convicted of anything. It's just intelligence. So if you know that somebody's dangerous uh, and that's something that we're going to play here when we play uh, the radio call. Um, also just, you know, she's on a routine patrol. She's going home. She sees this guy, uh, and, uh, he gets out of the car with an AR-15 rifle. I don't think it's any kind Wait, of, man, she knows all this information and she's not a coward. What? I thought, I thought all cops were cowards, man. Uh, no. Well, I mean, she was a police officer for, for this agency for four years. Her, she worked at another agency. She had about five total years and her dad is a police chief in another town. So she's kind of a, kind of a blue blood. She's not, a, not afraid of him just cause he's dangerous. She did, did take adequate care to get backup, but uh, things, things get out of hand, uh, really quick. Um, uh, let's go ahead and keep going with the video. Um, this, uh, again, occurred, uh, back in April. This is out in uh, Barron County, Wisconsin. Uh, at this point, uh, they had only had about uh, 2,800 calls for service in this county, which by the time you're in April, like my agency, a small agency, we had over 10,000. So this is a very small county. Yeah. So here, this is a, this is a footage. There's no audio for this. This is from a nearby factory that's kind of high elevation. All this is going to show is this is what Wisconsin is. Okay, so you're outside of town. You've got a long highway here. This is County Road SS. Officer Breidenbach is doing a traffic stop. She's pulling this guy over. And uh, around there, there's some uh, industrial looking buildings. And this is Hunter Shields' body cam. He's got a rifle. He's got a rifle. Shot fired. He's retreating behind the truck. Officers are already responding. Firing with his pistol. Officer down, officer down, officer down. His bag's empty. He's going to try to do a tactical reload. We do have a veteran here, so he should be good with a pistol. And the audio cuts out here. It's all redacted because those are the final moments of Officer Shield's life. And we can see Glenn Perry callously stepping over his body. He's already He already killed Officer Breidenbach at that point and then uh, killed Officer Shield. So you can see that basically they, they pull him over. He gets out of the car, grabs his AR, and there's no discussion of anything. You know, Breidenbach gave commands. Uh, Breidenbach did shoot first. This guy's got a range at his house. Uh, I looked at photos that were taken by the Department of Justice there. Not that there's anything wrong with being a gun nut, but I mean, this guy was loaded for bear. He was he was ready for war, and I think his whole mentality was as soon as he had an excuse to have contact with the police, he was going to kill them. Eric, your thoughts? Uh, first of all, man, that's a video that should motivate you to do as many tactical reload practice if you're an officer as you can, because even in a small town like this, um, I've never had to do a tactical reload in the police world, even though I worked uh, and I took 25 calls of service per day by myself. Um, and and these guys probably take 25 calls for service a year, <laughs> you know, and he's finding himself in the middle of nowhere. Um, something that he's not used to doing a tactical reload um, in the face of immense gunfire uh, and completely outgunned at this point. So that should definitely motivate you as an officer to not be lazy and not, you know, it's great that you're working on your jujitsu and shit, but like, there's no, uh, you know, triangle death hold that's, that's going to get you out of this gunfight. So don't forget 
to do lots of reloading. Also, um, you know, there, the apartments, we actually practiced scenarios similar to this and how to use your vehicle as cover and not mm -hmm. stray off of your vehicle, um, but rather how to move around it and have a gun battle just like this. And, and it was one of the, the more realistic pieces of training that we've ever did because you had to sit in your car, the car with some rounds and they used saran wrap for all the windows. So the windshield was saran wrap. All your windows were saran wrap so you could see through it. Um, but you could shoot through it with your, your SIM gun. And they just told you to get on your computer and um, type your favorite song. And then you were ambushed and you were forced to move around your vehicle and have a gun battle between cars. And I now see with this video how important that kind of training is. So if you're training staff, um, if you're part of the training squad, keep that in mind when you see videos like this to make sure your squad is being trained efficiently on how to use a vehicle for cover. Uh, you know, this is sad, man. Like he, these guys didn't really have a chance. And I can't imagine the fear of trying to reload and then making that decision of fuck it. Like I can't reload. I'm going to run, but there's nowhere to run. I mean, no, no cover. He left the only piece of cover he had, which was that truck, which is why that training is so important. And um, he must've just been in a sheer panic before those rounds hit him. He seems like he died really quick. I mean, is that, I mean, which is good, but I'd rather well, quickly uh, than slowly, but yeah, Breidenbach went down quickly. I mean, uh, we never even heard her on the radio. He no. had already, he had already seen the other officer blown away. And that's when he gets on there and said, you know, officer down shots yeah. fired. He's got a rifle. Someone was already dead at that point. That's another thing that is, is what we, the police department spend way too much time training on radio traffic and not enough time to, you know, that, that wasn't the time to talk. Yeah. You, you only need one officer down there or, you know, that's why we have 10 codes. Yeah. So we have signal signal two five, which, you know, in Raleigh would mean bring everybody, um, you know, that that's signal two five and then get to work on that gun. Um, he spent a lot of time, not to Monday morning quarterback him. Um, cause he's, you know, he's he scared as, but as like what he was, I, yeah. I want people to learn from, from those things. And, and, and that's, that's a training, that's something we've all trained to do. I've been guilty of it a million times where it's like, I'm in a foot chase and I spend more time on the radio than I do actually physically trying to chase the guy. Luckily for me, I didn't get blasted, but you know, there's a time to to talk and there's a time to work. And you know, that was, um, you know, he was really focused on that radio and, and that sucks. You know, that sucks. Yeah. And Carly as an experienced dispatcher, you know, sometimes you don't even need to hear a full 10 code. No. I mean, he could have keyed open his radio just to hear sounds and you would have known what to do. Is that correct? Just the fact that he was yelling in general, he's getting a clearance and he's getting the cavalry. Like you don't even have to give, like our code was 1199. And just the fact that he's yelling, it doesn't matter. You're getting everyone. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I know like in a perfect scenario, you'd want to know where the shooter is, what his description is and everything. But when you're in an active gun battle, that's not the time. Yeah, I, I've, I've had it before where, again, where I had two officers out at the scene with a, with a dangerous man like this. He had a, a cautionary note on his file, too. Similar thing. And the two, the two deputies out there with him, they just keyed open the radio, and I could hear him yelling. I thought, well, what could this be? Well, I only have this one thing going on. And so I, I, was, I was able to get state guys going there, and I just said, like, you know, there's 
they obviously need uh, emergent backup just from that sound. So a good dispatcher doesn't necessarily need even a 10 code to know something is wrong. But I think he was really scared. I think he was code black. I think that maybe the the only good that came out of giving that much information was is that everyone responding, they have a good idea of what's going on. And, and when they get there, they 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 know that he's got a rifle, which is going to be critical for their approach, Tansy. And, I mean, uh, it's just, when did this happen? This was uh, in April. I think it was April yeah. 8th. So, I mean, it's a telling of the times, right? Because, again, please don't don't accuse me of money, money, kind of backing because I'm just trying to give learning moments for other officers out there. But, like, you know, I think if these guys would have been cops 10 years ago, they would have been – this would have been a felony vehicle stop, you know, or or maybe not to the extent of a felony vehicle stop. But your your gun would be out already because of, of the information. You know, like if I know if if they already gave me information that this guy hates cops, he has a gun range in his backyard, and his child knows that he hates cops, and he wears a, a, a pistol on his side all the time. Blah blah blah. I mean, I'm not approaching that guy with my gun in the holster. Period. I'm not even. I'm like my gun will be out and and either behind my back and the small of my back, but like all the the hairs on my neck will be up. But you know, we can't modern 2022 2021 2023 cops can't act like that anymore yeah because they have to just they just have to have this open-handed kindness until they get punched in the face before that open-handed kindness can become an iron fist and that's unfair and it's unfortunate something else not to monday morning quarterback them because i'm not here to do that but in a situation like this they're in county road ss it's going straight to shatek uh, I watched enough video to know that the officers the other deputies who are coming they're very far away it takes them a long time driving a code to get there um, but if you don't have to initiate that traffic stop right at that moment, I mean, she did have one officer right behind her. If we think he's that dangerous, if we think it could turn out this way, which obviously it didn't, you know, you could maybe hold off until you have at least another unit maybe ahead, particularly if he's going to get into a pursuit that might be helpful. I'm going to go on with the video from here. It's just going to kind of show some of the tactics they use to secure the perimeter and eventually go over and get the suspect. Three, two, seven, Baron. I'm only copying parts. Is he still on scene? 327, we have two officers, two officers down. He is set up with a rifle. So that's dispatch knowing that he has a rifle. That's helpful for other, other 327, officers. 327, I'm approaching. disengaging, getting traffic out of here. Get out of here. Go. So 327's not going to engage. 331, Baron, I do not have eyes on the subject at this time. She's very calm for two officers. Right down. Good for her. Yeah, her hands don't even shake. She's getting her rifle ready. She's getting Jess. that ready to go. Is he down? So she's just, uh, she's blocking off the road here, and we'll kind of show what that looks like to a dispatcher and some mapping here shortly. So this is afterwards. Officers okay. are now on scene, but they can't approach because of that rifle. Yeah. Come on, we've got it. So you're seeing a body cam footage of an officer who wants to get over there. You can see his two other police officers down and the suspect down. They're going to get a shield and move in as a single element. I mean, I just fucking just shoot him while he's down and then right? roll up. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> We're approaching. Yeah, we see it. You'll see that they make, a, left. they make a critical mistake here that they actually rectify too. I got... I got I got, uh, move the gun. I got, I got yes. lethal. Yep. I got, I got lethal. Cover me. I got guns. I got yes. lethal. Everybody should have lethal. Is this rifle? Yep. 
I got lethal. I got, you got that? Yep. Roll them. Okay, roll them. Roll them up. With you? Yep. They're cuffing up the suspect at this point. Most of everything's blurred out because they're two dead police down. officers. We've got 195. He's that guy's also shot. Are you guys off in their Hold on. Clear. Clear. I got it. I got it. Shield? No. No. Back's clear. Front's clear. Front's clear. Got another rifle up front. Yeah. Then you mess up. Are you fucking now you got a flight as well? Pause really quick for our audio listeners. Like, um, you know, I know you guys can't see it. You guys can just hear it, but uh, you know, pay attention to the, the the heavy breathing. And I've talked about that a lot of times. Like, people are will see something in a foot chase or like a small fight, and they'll be like, "Wow, that cop's really out of shape." You know, why are they so out of breath? When when adrenaline goes up, you tend to kind of hold your breath until you remember to start breathing again. And when you remember to start breathing again, you're kind of trying to play catch up. So mm -hmm. that breathing gets uh, very heavy. And, um, you know, it, it's just a thing. It doesn't mean that the cops are out of shape. It's just it's part of adrenaline, right? Like that's part of the cause. And so although these guys didn't do any kind of crazy movements, you can see his. <sighs> yeah. If any, if anything, they were forced to wait until there were enough of them to move up on, on the scene. So they they were they were stuck there looking at their two dead friends across two the road. And the suspect, yeah, and that's that's so going to get much. you pumping. And you, the first thing he says is, "Come on, let's go." He wants to get over there. He's he's hoping against some kind of hope that they're alive. Um, and, and so of course, you know, and I feel like in a in a scenario like this, it's like, you know, I, I don't know, being in the military, like you would just fucking shoot that guy like six times, and then be like, all right, well, he's definitely dead. We're not going to wait. Because that, that's that's definitely yeah. interesting since we we approached it from a military standpoint in the voicemail and, and your message earlier. Uh, that would be how I would feel in that moment. I'm like, let's like I did, like I said, in my when my hostage negotiation thing, I just went in and shot everybody. You know, like you have yeah. this like I'm going to tamp. I'm going to completely remove the danger without thought to other people. And it's it's not necessarily a good tactic, but I would feel like doing that as well. Tansy, what did you think about them going up, cuffing up the guy? And then they completely forgot to check out to see if there's a second person in this vehicle. Uh, I mean, that's it's a mistake. But I mean, at the same time, it's like everything is always a gamble anyway. You know, yeah. like what's the likelihood? Like if you you would have seen movement in that car, if some if there was a threat in that car, probably it's not. You know, the probable the probability of it waiting until you got that close to ambush you, um, more likely than not, no. Right? Like they would have given themselves away way way yeah. earlier way sooner i yeah. mean it's not a great practice but i think it's like at the time you're like the chances of that are so slim but yeah. like let's keep moving i think um i know that the, the scenario i've had um one time where, where we had a guy that was down um he had been shot but he had still had the gun um and we moved in on him we didn't wait to have a shield or anything but uh i was very like pointing on when i approached like i approached with my gun aimed right at his head and um, I told my rookie to do the same thing. And as we were walking, I said, if you move an inch, I will fucking blow your head off. Like, do not fucking move. I'll fucking kill you. Like, do not move. Do not move. Do not move. Do not move until I was able to like drop my knee, like right onto his arm, grab the gun, slide it across the pavement and yeah. handcuff him. Like I, we didn't wait for a shield or anything like that. And, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, if that, that rifle is on the ground um, and you have a rifle, 
like like just fucking move with the rifle pointed at his face and if he goes for that rifle it's only yeah. going to take one round to finish that and you have to believe in yourself and believe in your ability to shoot that rifle but you know that was only 20 feet away um but again that's where we're at in 2023 like nobody has that mindset anymore like right now we are like tactical by the book is what i call it and every and, you know i think uvaldi there was a lot that went into Voldy with that too. It's like, we're more concerned on what the book says versus what does common sense say. And, and people just kind of forget that like, sometimes dude, you just got to get, you just got to get to work. And, yeah. you know, in Uvaldi, there, there were some times where they were, you know, I know that I know that they were trying to figure out what, what does the book say about this tactic? Because Iraq, Afghanistan has taught us to just be, I mean, tactic heavy. I mean, we got playbooks, like a football team um, that you have to memorize for different tactics in different uh, engagement areas, because, you know, engagement is different for every area rules of engagement. And so being a police officer, it's the same thing, except your playbook is now tripled <laughs> the size. Yeah. So, and, and, and people focus so much and rookies, especially you yeah. said this cop was a four-year veteran. I mean, you know, that the, what's going through their brain, the, the radio traffic says it all, right? Like, okay, yeah. I, I, the book says I have to get on the radio right now and I have to give out distance, direction, what kind of gun, what the guys look at, uh, you know, instead of getting to work. Yeah, Shield know, was actually, so he was 23. He had graduated from the academy in 2022. Yeah, so. and you could tell because it was all like, this was all by the book. This was all like no instinct, no gut feeling, you know, no gun now. And that's just, you know, that's because we've taken away this warrior mentality and police officers, we've killed the warrior spirit yeah. and the officers. And, you know, 2012, 2013, you know, these cops would have had a different attitude. They'd be like, whatever, whatever this guy's got in his car, I'm winning. And I don't yeah. give a shit what the public sees. And they would have come out with their guns out and they, their tone of voice. You know, that was back then when you could say shit like, hey, yeah. we're moving up. You reach for that rifle and I will make a canoe out of your fucking skull. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Well, you said it. I mean, they're, they're thinking about the aftermath. Now, when you go to work and you have to worry about a George Floyd era in which like, if I take this action, am I going to prison the rest of my life? I mean, we've talked to, you know, Miss Stretta and Darby and a whole other, uh, a whole bunch of police officers who've been placed in that position where they'll do something that's even legally fine and by the book and even in SOPs. And they still have to worry about that. There's one yeah, last exactly. piece of the video here where I just want to show what it's like for police officers when, when they get bad news. So this is someone else who's still driving to the scene. We're almost at the end here. Uh, you'll hear the dispatcher come over the radio. He's told to uh, discontinue uh, two helicopters. Helicopters are only going to go to the scene if there's a patient to take away. So when he hears the helicopters are canceled, you'll hear his, his reaction to that. Got another rifle up front. Flight as well. Fuck. That's it. That's that's his reaction. He's still driving to the scene as fast as he can, and he he just found out that there's there's nothing else he can do, and uh, yeah. that's a, a terrible moment. Tansy, have you ever? Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to necessarily no, open up anything uh, yeah. that you don't want to share, but just if you've had experiences like that, maybe you yeah, can tell what it's like officer, for police officers. Young officer fires was was shot, and I was actually um, uh, in a call center uh, taking fraud calls. Um, for for a little bit uh anytime you're injured or, or you got uh any kind of like conflicting duty stuff going on you know instead of taking the night off they might put you at the call center you know um and, and so that you're not actively on the streets and and you can take uh fraud calls or um just like the different shit that you don't really need to go to a house to take so you can work on 
whatever report or whatever twisted ankle or whatever you got going on with court and all this other stuff that, that you got to do. And, um, it was one of those type nights for me where I was, where, where that was my duty and, um, officer Ainsworth, Charlie got shot. Um, and, and so I'm in the radios and, and uh, they put him in the car and, and they were pulling the car over to do, they put him in a cop car and then they pulled the cop car over to give him CPR. And just the whole time, man, I was sick to my stomach and, you know, I, I was tempted just to say, fuck it. You know, I'm going to get in my car and, and go to the scene. But, um, you know, another time one of my buddies got shot in the leg and, um, you know, and I actually beat the ambulance to the hospital coming from my house. And um, I live like 20 minutes away and, you know, when you hear stuff like that on the radio, it's like, you just want to work, you want to do something. And, um, Eric, that's exactly, that's exactly how dispatchers feel. Some of us feel like we, I I've had it before where I've known that if I get in my car right now, I'll be the first person who can be there. Um, other dispatchers have come from other fields and their first instinct is to run towards danger, just like yours. Uh, but what we, we have to deal with is this crippling dependency on other people where we have to say, I'm going to send Eric Tanzi to go deal with this. And I trust Eric Tanzi to do his best because I can't go because no one can sit down and and replace me and do what I'm doing. And we have to have good communications here in order for us to respond appropriately. So that feeling you had where you, you wanted to go, I'm just telling you that dispatchers are, we're, we're overwhelmed with that every day. Um, also, uh, we're going to bring on Carly here. We're going to switch over to radio a little bit. Uh, thank you, Tansy, for those for that information. I'm going to go ahead and bring Carly back in, and we're going to like play some radio from Barron County Dispatch. So we're going to back up to the beginning of the traffic stop here. So Bryden Bach is saying he's got a gun. So dispatch hears that. She calling for help. It's the worst worst sound that a dispatcher can hear. Three thirteen route. Ten four. Sheriff's deputies are already going. Both officers are down. County Sheriff's Department paging Mayo Clinic ambulance. You requested Highway Eight Double S. Highway Eight Double S for an officer involved shooting. Time is fifteen thirty nine. So they don't wait for anyone to tell them to do this. This is what great dispatchers do. They don't need an incident commander. They don't need a patrol sergeant. They don't need a supervisor in dispatch saying, hey, what resources are we going to need next? Carly, you worked for a big agency, big department. You had to deal with uh, officer injuries and fatalities. Uh, kind of run us through what some of the experiences that you would have when it was up to you to take the next step. Uh, I've been on both ends of it. Um I was freshly released from training, only on phones at the time, hadn't hit radio training yet. And my caller was the only one that said it was red and blue lights on the ground and it was a car accident. And he said it was a department, asked him which department. He had no idea because the car was that destroyed. And so it was up to our dispatcher, Trek in the area. We had a unit in the area and she went out to him and there was absolutely no response. The radio was taken out with the car. Um, I've had a few get injured and luckily when some of them were non-injury, they would just say, you know, non-injury crash patrol vehicle involved, but they would open with non-injury crash. And so that was always a lot easier. And then my most recent one before I left the department was like two weeks, maybe three weeks with this particular office. And 
I worked with an amazing group of people. Like they all had 18, 19, 20 years on. I had five (laughs) and like, it was an experienced office and I had the least experience and they were all friends with the guys. And it was very like tight knit. We actually worked in the same office that the officers did. And so Mm -hmm. everyone knew each other and they got hit by a car and they were stuck. One of the guys had to be extricated and we couldn't get to him. They were doing traffic control for a tow truck that just had to come back later to pick up a car just because traffic was too heavy at first. So they go in the middle of the night, go pick up the car. The tow driver is the one that alerted us of the crash. The officers didn't have a chance to tell us. And so it came over from my partner and I was working the radio And the nice thing about how our system was set up was if we had a call that was labeled 1199, which was our officer involved emergency, everyone knew about it. It would alert every surrounding area. Like we were in Stockton, South Sacramento was attached. Tracy was attached. All of their cars would light up with a little red bar that would go across and everyone would just start going. So all of a sudden you have other units on your air that are like, where am I going? What's going on? And we were getting updates from the tow driver. He couldn't get close enough to the car because the car was catching fire. And all of us just jumped into action. There was, I want to say five or six of us. I think one person might've had the day off and no one had to say, we need the fire department. We just immediately called the fire department. We called EMS. They were in the absolute worst location that took the longest to get there. And that was rolling. And we would keep calling the fire department. Hey, how close are you? How close are you? And they're like, we're rolling code. We can't go any faster. It's like, no, I understand, but they're stuck and they're scared. Again. Yeah. Those emergencies that dilate forever. Uh, You can see that in this case, they just started rolling too. Once the officer starts saying shots down, you know, dispatch will oftentimes they'll repeat things, but everyone on that radio, they already knew about this traffic stop. We already had a sheriff's deputy going and basically everyone just starts expediting. Uh, Tansy, you crashed once and you, you had a story about a a dispatcher looking out for you. Did you want to tell that story? (laughs) I mean, I've crashed more than once, but um, I was going to also say the cops are kind of doing the same thing too. And um, I know like for Raleigh, you know, when something like this happens, um, you know, you, you, you don't have to know that, you know, when the officers hears this officer shooting, officer shooting, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, all the officer needs to see is where they were. And in a big agency, you probably already know because, um, you can look at your computer screen and see who's on a traffic stop and you kind of know people's voices and whatever. But my point is, is that, you know, we're, when we hear that we're already pulling GPS maps of the area. So we're on our way there. You're driving, you know, hundred miles an hour. You're also on your laptop looking up that area so you can get a visual and how you're going to approach. You're looking up all sorts of stuff. You're trying to figure out a canine perimeter. You're, you're getting on the radio saying like, Hey, I'm coming from the West. I'm coming from the West. Does anybody know, you know, is the shooter to the West or to the East? And we're already talking back and forth um, right. doing proactive stuff too. So I know a lot of times that, you know, um, by the time even the dispatcher is like, Hey guys, and they'll give you a piece of information. You've already kind of yeah. got that you're, ball rolling, but yeah. You're ahead of the um, game, particularly when you've got a, a rifleman there, it's really going to dictate you guys have got to set up a perimeter for sure to keep other people out of there. You've got traffic on County road SS and yeah. a rifle just has a long range. So it puts more people in danger. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, if, you know, if you're training a rookie or you're a new cop, proactivity should be something that you practice in your head. You know, scenarios like this shouldn't be the first time that you thought about it. Like yeah. you should have war game this in your head nights prior. 
know, hey, if, if there's a shooting, what, what do I need to do? Like if there's two officers down and I'm responding, like, what do I need to do? Okay, I need to make sure that I have a shield. I need to know who on my squad has the shield, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, in my case, yes, I was chasing a murder suspect um, and uh, I didn't really make it up to that grade of high speed. I think I was only around 80 miles an hour before the wet rose got the best of my crown Vic. And I wiped out into a, uh, a barrier, but the dispatchers were very quick to come out and say, hey, we see you on the side of the road. Do you need EMS? Like they could just see on the, uh, the cameras on the highway that I had wrecked. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, they, they had already, I think, started EMS, whether I needed it or I didn't. But uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go yeah, ahead with, uh, with more radio traffic here. Just be advised, we want you to stay, do not respond directly to the scene. We need to secure the scene. Again, stay. 10-4, we copied. We have EMS page. I will be sending a chopper. Both officers are down. He's set up with a rifle. Copy. 327, Baron. I'm only copying parts. Is he still on scene? 327, we have two officers, two officers down. He is set up with a rifle. So no one can approach the scene. You've got two officers down. We saw this earlier with the video. Even the police officers, when they get there, when they get a secure perimeter, that they can't just run up on the guy. Maybe, you know, Tansy implies maybe they can. Um, but we can't send first responders, firefighters, EMS, uh, paramedics into that situation. So we will page them out, get them staged to stand by. Uh, Carly, do you have you have experience with things like that? Getting, I'm, I know that you have to do that even with uh, suicidal persons, don't you? Yeah, for the most part. Um, one thing I like that he mentioned is that he's only copying half of it or part of it. And our policy was we had to parrot everything. So if you said, like, I'm approaching, we said copy or approaching because mm -hmm. we had the same issue. Sometimes the units couldn't hear each other, but they could always hear us. And so it was just so there was nothing lost in translation. Right. Like yeah, you could be like, should we be approaching? And then all you hear is approaching. So like yeah. you assume that units are approaching. Yeah. Like. At, at one point later on a phone call that I didn't play, there was, there's hours and probably a solid hour of phone calls. And uh, at one point, when they're calling out SWAT to respond, uh, the guy that, that the dispatcher calls on the phone and says, well, you know, where, where's the staging point? And he says, well, I, I think the scene's secure. You can just go straight there. So it just it just shows how innately confusing things can be because you can have a policy that you have a staging point. Where's your command post? You know, if you have a barricaded subject, a live subject who still has a rifle pointed at you with cover and versus, you know, whether or not you can actually go to the scene. And this was kind of an unusual case because. The both police officers were down, but the suspect was hit in the leg, and he was fairly well neutralized by that. He later died at the hospital. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, continue. Now, when he staged, I mean, go it looked ahead. like he was just laying on the ground. He was. I don't know if he had lost a lot of blood and he was unconscious. He didn't interact with the police officers, which, you know, if you hate cops and they're surrounding you, you think he maybe he might have a few, few choice words. I'm guessing he was already unconscious at that point. Like, took that from moral artery wound and probably yeah. died on scene. They just kind of just legally said it was at the hospital. Well, I mean, that's what we pronounce do, because if you, if you pronounce them dead on the scene, then you've got to secure the scene. And then you get, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, whereas if you secure them in, in the ambulance, then, then you can take them to a hospital and you don't have to have a sheet on the side of the road and close down yeah. the whole highway. So, I mean, there's I, a lot of these times that when they, people say that they died at the hospital, they really didn't. Um, they were just still a little bit warm. And so for convenience sake, they try to get them out of there. But um, 
Tansy, did you know that no one ever dies in prison? Carly can maybe attest to some of this too, but like people always uh, are transported from the prison and they die at the hospital later. It's the always. Same thing. Always, yeah. yeah, because it's just too much. I mean, Epstein died at the hospital, even though he strangled himself like four hours before anybody got there. But, um, you know, but, but I, you know, people think that's a conspiracy, but I'm like, no, actually, it's pretty par for course. If they can get them out of the cell, because if not, then they have to move inmates everywhere yeah. and the whole building gets locked down yada 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 but what's interesting is you guys uh, did a, a breakdown on that on last call and you have someone here on failure to stop who's not only a former correctional officer but was a commander of a facility during an in-custody mm. death which was an apparent murder or an apparent suicide and i did not get a phone call on that tansy ah, man you know i don't you know some of these things are so last second i never know what your <laughs> work okay. schedule's like john yeah, it's but, all right no uh, we, you're we always working on, 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 on we did a we breakdown do on, on, on patreon we, we already did it on Patreon, so you, oh. you, missed, you missed the quote again, but <laughs> All right, I need to do a picture. But, but you know, going back to the staging area, and you were talking about that, um, again, you're talking about a rural city that only has 2,500 calls up until April. Um, you know, this stuff doesn't come naturally. And if you've got a, an officer that's been there for four years, an officer that's been there for two years, and I've always said, I think you're a rookie until your sixth year. Yeah. Um, for a reason, because, you know, every day you get a different call. And that's a different chance for you to fuck up because there's no way that you can know how to respond to everything. Every domestic has some kind of nuance to it that you've never seen before. Um, you know, it's a domestic where there's, you know, maybe the kid is beating up on the mom and the mom turns around and sucks the kid in the face. Well, it's not really clear and cut, cut and dry. Like, is it child abuse? If your 13 year old child outweighs you by 50 pounds and you can't take his abuse anymore and you try to get ahead of that and pop him. You know, it's just, my point is, is that like every scenario has weird nuances through your whole career. And if you're not, you know, if you're a SWAT guy, your brain is a one track mind. Like it's how to deal with these scenarios. Um, that SWAT guy is not going to know how to deal with that, that domestic typically the way you are. So to think that like street level cops uh, have four years of service are used to having a, a weird suspect like this with a rifle with two dead cops. And they're, you know, they have the wherewithal to be like, let's do a staging area and let's get a command post set up. Like that's the furthest thing from yeah. their brain. That takes like a cop that's been in that scenario three times, four times to be like, okay, well I've been here before. And I know during our AAR or after action review, we talked about having staging areas blah, blah, blah. So it's not an incompetence issue. It's not a, you know, ignorance issue it's just a lack of that type of experience issue which is kind of a good thing like honestly i want to live in a place where my cops aren't used to dealing with this shit yeah it's uh it's that way for 91 dispatchers when we're trying to get new though we spent our first nine months first year just getting trained up because every single call is unique you can't necessarily imply apply the experience that you just got on your last call to this one because it's so different right. so you have to build up a huge body of experience uh, to learn how to take calls as a 911 dispatcher. Uh, we'll keep going with the police band. 327, I'm disengaging, getting traffic out of here. Copy. 327, Baron. AGRT also get uh, all responding units, county units, and others in route, set up a perimeter. So this is our mapping. Copy. Well, I want to clear for emergency traffic only. Did everyone copy? We need you to respond to the area of Highway 8 and Double S. Highway 8 and Double S to set up perimeter. 
So you, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see this, but this is a good example of a mock-up of a map that a dispatcher might have. This is not exactly accurate. I saw some Pretty other uh, some some other sources that showed that maybe they were further south on County Road SS, but it's south of U.S. Highway 8. And uh, that that officer you just heard there says, I'm not going to engage. I'm going to keep civilians out of the area. She's actually going to create a choke point there at Highway 8 and SS southbound between uh, Cameron and Chatech so that people can't continue to drive past. Before officers you know, going get there, back, Going back to where you were talking about the officer making that traffic stop originally, um, it looks like to me that maybe they were making that traffic stop before he could get to Highway 8. And that's why they be. lit him up where they did. Yeah, because they didn't they didn't necessarily know which direction he was going to go. That could be an excellent tactical reason to do that. Um, but uh, so they they stop him here just south of Highway 8 before he can keep going. Before the officer gets there to stop traffic, you'll see on that first camera image we showed you that uh, some, at one point ve vehicles are just driving past on County Road SS. There's two police cars with lights on. There's a vehicle in front of them, and there's three people down on the ground. We're going to listen to those and everyone calls in just one second. Uh, Carly, uh, you use mapping. How instrumental is that for you in locating officers in, in danger? Our map was not helpful at all. Really? Uh, we more or less got a general idea of where they were. It wasn't exact. And we didn't have like any, it was more or less if, if the CAD coordinator had put a name of the street on there, then we would have it. But if they didn't, we wouldn't have it. And same with mile markers if we were out in the middle of nowhere and all we had was mile markers. If it wasn't input in our system by the coordinator, we had no idea what it was. So sometimes it would say unnamed street at unnamed street. Yeah, oh, that, that's insane because a lot a lot of times for us, when we take a call for service over the phone, uh, we have SOPs about making sure we confirm the address twice. It, the address has got to verify in our CAD, basically saying we know for sure this is not only a real place, but that it's in our jurisdiction. And so we go to great pains to do this. I've had it before where I lose touch with officers' phones, radios, their extenders are on. And uh, for me, the mapping, which looks a lot like this, obviously, I based it on my own experience, this can be tremendously helpful in, in locating units. I know that where I'm at, you know, if it, here in uh, Barron County, if you want to say you're south of Highway 8 and Road SS, that's pretty straightforward. Where you were at, I assume the roads were so dense that, like, you know, an officer can turn on one block and he could turn on another. And just the inaccuracies of GPS might give his location to two different places. Does that sound mm -hmm. like it could happen? Yeah, and then we also had the same street in every county. And so when you have 13 counties and you have 101 at 280, well, that's in two separate counties. So yeah. if you're verifying it, you have to make sure that you pick which county they're in. Or my favorite is like when Eden Street turns into New Bern. Mm -hmm. But like if you've worked yeah. on Eden Street for your whole career and you're always going to call it Eden Street, even though it becomes New Bern in the next district. So if you're starting the crime on Eden Street, you might, you know, you might be like, all right, we're southbound on Eden Street approaching Wake Med, where you're like, well, Eden Street doesn't go anywhere near Wake Med, according to this map, because mm -hmm. it's New Bern over on the map. But in your brain, Eden is New Bern because yeah. it's just I hate that. I don't know why roads become like if it's Eden Street, like why doesn't it just stay Eden Street forever well, <laughs> until it ends? Where, where I live, we actually do that. We have continuity. We'll, so we'll actually have a street. You know, you could call it West Avenue and there'll be parts where it's not contiguous. Like there's a golf course there. So you can't drive from the east side of the east side of town to the west side of town because there's a golf course in the middle. But the name of the street is the same thing. There's just no blocks there in the middle. So that, the, if you do it that way, too, there, you can have problems, too. And where I live, if you just look at a map of the Midwest, you'll see that our roads are laid out like a grid. So you right. can have a road intersect another road in two places. Like you could have a U.S. highway that jogs around. Right 
around these uh, sections of planting planting fields, it can intersect in two different places. So you can have traffic stops, crashes, and they'll say, "I'm at the intersection of, you know, uh, U.S. Highway 21 and you know uh, State Road 19." And you're like, "Well, there's two different junctions of that, and they're a mile apart, and it might affect which ambulance they send you." So this is where the the mapping can really come in to tell you exactly where they're at. All right, a car is driven by. We're going to keep going with radio traffic here. 331, Baron, I do not have eyes on the subject at this time. 10-4. I believe the subject is down. I believe the subject is down. There's three subjects down. We're standing by for another unit. So that's the officer that definitely shooting people off, telling people to get out of here. 245, Baron, we're responding on double one. 245. It looks like the officers that we can see on mapping are on double S south of the Highway 8 intersection, double S south of the Highway 8 intersection. So she uses mapping. Chatek fire, you are needed to stop traffic northbound from Chatek to Kerosene. Stop so here, traffic. So here we have fire. Fire is actually going to stop the road because we don't have we don't have police officers close enough. We use uh, we use fire for uh, perimeters and traffic control quite a bit. Tansy, is that a common practice in Raleigh? Yeah, I mean, if you call the fire department, they're blocking everything anyway, so it doesn't fucking matter. Like, <laughs> you mean they're you doing say there's it a accident? turtle on the road at exit fifty three, and those motherfuckers are going to close yeah. down the whole thing. So, Carly, is that a common practice for you to use fire if you don't have police officers nearby to to shut down an area, create a perimeter? Yeah. Okay. We'll keep going. Uh, Cameron Fire is also going to set up a landing zone at the church, and we'll talk helicopters. Barron County Sheriff's Department, patient Cameron Fire, you're requested for a landing zone, landing Living Waters Church. We do have two choppers inbound to the Living Waters Church. Okay, so they're going to set up a helicopter. The way that that works uh, in my agency, and uh, Carly and I were talking about this a little bit, is basically I call the hospital, and the hospital's got their own helicopter dispatcher, and they'll send them out to the countryside where I work, and we'll have to secure a landing zone at a football field, a soccer field, a church parking lot, maybe big intersections, sometimes in the interstate. Uh, now, Tansy, I finally went to downtown Raleigh in April, and it doesn't look very helicopter friendly. I was we talking. We need one. We wouldn't no. even need one. Um, no, because you would because, throw them in the back of a unit, right? Yes, we do that often. But I mean, um, the Duke Duke uh, Duke Raleigh is a great hospital, and it's on the north side of Raleigh. And then you have Southeast Wake Med, which is one of like the may, like best gunshot victim hospitals like in the country. Like I think Tampa has a really great one. Um, uh, I think Los Angeles has a really great one and, and Raleigh has a phenomenal one. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, like you don't need a helicopter. It, it would take more time to get a helicopter up and down. If it's that serious, we put the, we put shit in the back of your cop car. I think almost every cop has put somebody in the back of their cop car and rushed into yeah. the hospital. The difference here is, and I was telling this to Carly, <laughs> we can have a, an officer, a deputy down and it will take, uh, you know, on one of these helicopters, the ETA time is 23 minutes. For me, if, if we went full code from the farthest part of my jurisdiction to where the closest hospital that can handle trauma is, it would take them over a half an hour to 130 miles to get there. Oh, wow. And so the danger of driving code three with an officer and then like the, the potential unavailability of a helicopter. So like after like Halloween, like the weather is terrible here. It's snowy. It's windy all the time. Sometimes you'll call the helicopter and they'll say like, yeah, we're not flying today. And all of a sudden the helicopter is not an asset for you. So right. what you might have to do is split the difference. Send, send them in the back of a patrol car, send them up uh, the interstate. 
And then uh, when you have an, an advanced life support ambulance unit where they have paramedics, you can have a meet them halfway and then the ambulance will transport. We have done that. Like, I know that many cops have put somebody in their cop car, started to transport them, pulled over and handed them off. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy, man. Like a lot of civilians don't understand that cops deal with that kind of shit all the time. Yeah. Carly, you were big city as well. So I suppose uh, you, you had your own, you, you would dispatch your own helicopters, your air units for law enforcement, but kind of run us through how that worked with EMS and medical. I know you didn't do that side, but you, you have knowledge of that area out in California. Yeah. So we had a helicopter and an airplane for every division that we had. And they would just come up on our own air. If we needed a helicopter, we just called them and be like, hey, air ops, we need a helicopter X, Y, Z. And they would tell us whether or not they were down for weather. And most of the time, if it was officer involved, they would figure out a way to fly. Um, And they were a 10-minute ETA to the majority of the area we were covering. Um, They were pretty centrally located between the rest of them. And if not, then the fire department handled their own air. And so if they were doing EMS helicopters, then we just called the fire department and told them what we had and they determined whether or not we were going to need life flight. I did have one irritating experience once where I was trying to get a helicopter from a neighboring state because my two helicopters here weren't flying or they already had a patient. And I already addressed this with the hospital because I was good friends with someone who was in charge over there. But uh, she asked for the location where we needed to do a scene landing. We had a, a patient there who... I'm trying to remember if he exploded or if he was suffering from like acute carbon monoxide poisoning. He had a, he was out in the middle of nowhere and he had, he was in serious trouble. And I was giving the location to the helicopter dispatcher. And uh, so I said, it's located at the, uh, near the, they're going to set up a landing zone at the intersection of say 177 and, you know, uh, 529, right? So a street and avenue. And uh, I had to go around and around and around with her trying to figure out where it was at. And eventually she told me, yeah, the, the helicopter pilot won't be able to see the street signs from the air. Yeah. And that was the stupidest moment I have ever had. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you GPS coordinates. I thought it would be easier giving this to you than latitude and longitude, but I guess get ready to copy down a bunch of numbers. Anyway, yeah. uh, just the fact that she said that to me over the phone, that the helicopter is not going to be able to see street signs from the air. Uh, that was that was a low moment, I think, in, uh, in, in emergency response. Uh, <laughs> Eric, any other thoughts on helicopters before we move on? Uh, no, uh, I just think it's funny that they were like, yeah, we don't need a helicopter, but yeah, they have some dude bleeding out on the ground. Uh, yeah, touche. Yeah. Well, the, you mean that they didn't need it for the suspect? You mean? Right. Well, that <laughs> kind of yeah, you, you can cancel those helicopters. <laughs> like, that leads we'll drive this guy slowly until he dies. Well, they also never called one because there was two helicopters coming. You know, you could get a third, even if it was from far away. Uh, but, uh, again, he did, he didn't die at the scene. He died at the hospital. So that maybe uh, adds an extra subtextual layer as to what really went on there. We're going to, yeah, yeah. uh, we're going to add some phone calls. There's only a couple of them and then we'll be finished with the media portion. But, uh, the first 911 call that we have here is, uh, especially irritating. And, uh, so if you're already a 911 dispatcher, get ready to be a lot of something irritating. Here in County 911, where is your emergency? Hi, I'm, I'm actually just... Sitting here, um, I ended up pulling over because I saw uh, a dog in the middle of the road, and then all of a sudden I see an officer down and a gentleman on the ground. Looks like he's bleeding on his leg and a rifle on the ground as well. Yeah, we got uh, people on the way there, okay? Where exactly are you at? 
I am on the side of the road, um, right uh, next to the Woodlawn place. Okay. okay, I see where you're at. Okay, we got people that are heading there, okay? All right, not a problem. Thanks. Uh, I apologize. I just wanted to make sure everything was taken care of. Uh, I, everybody, everybody was getting... Yep, thank you, sir. Good. We're working on it, okay? All righty. Yep, oh, my God. Okay, so that guy's in shock. We understand that, but again, you know, we're, he's the only useful information is just to confirm that location. The guy's like, "I'm by the wood thing." You know, you're out in Wisconsin. I, obviously, the dispatchers already know where the officers are down. And this guy calls up and he starts talking about a dog. Initially, uh, it, I get that he's driving past a scene of carnage of three dead people, but that was especially irritating. Uh, Carly, your first takes on that? Remove the fluff. I don't care what you were doing prior. Just tell me where you are and tell me you see people down with a rifle. I just need to make sure that it's the exact same thing and we don't have two of these working in different locations. I don't care that you saw a dog. Congratulations. <laughs> just move on. Tell me what I need. Well, hey, so I just woke up today. I had coffee. It was black rifle coffee. and I was getting on scene. It was a really pretty dog. Really pretty dog. Uh, and then I've got three bodies and a guy with... And the thing is, we have to cut through so much of that bullshit we don't have time for. Like, we literally, like, you know everything that they're doing. They're paging out fire to, to block the road. They're paging out fire to do a landing zone. They're talking to their police officers. You're going to hear some phone calls that they're handling. They're calling out SWAT. They're having to call the, the chiefs of police. They're having to talk to other agencies. There's two people. And this guy's calling up and, and wasting time talking about a, about a dog. And you could tell the dispatcher wants to get off the phone with him. He goes, okay, I know where you're at. That's the only useful thing I need to know. And the guy's just like, yeah, I, I just want to apologize. I sure am sorry. And it's just, I want to commend this dispatcher because he did something I wouldn't have done, which I would have hit the hang up button. I'm sorry with two officers down. I'm not going to make sure I have a polite end of that phone call. If he wants, if I want to get in trouble for that later, I guess I'm just going to have to explain myself, but I don't, I don't have time for that. So Good job to the professionalism of that dispatcher to hang up kindly, because that was one more that I could do. Uh, we're going to hear some other phone calls here. I'm just going to offer just a quick montage of some other stuff that they have to do. It's not as simple as police officers arrive on scene and everything's over. These dispatchers uh, were busy for the rest of the day. The cops were, too. I noticed from the pictures that even though this happened at uh, between 3 and 4 in the afternoon, that a lot of the photos from the crime scene were at night. So everyone's working on this the rest of the day. Uh, we got officers, two, three, well, two officers down. They were trying to do a drop on Glen Perry. Hey, Carrie, it's Amy. What's going on? Uh, we have officers involved shooting, so we're just trying to take care of that right now. Okay, uh, I can be there in an hour. Okay, well, Maria said she's coming in as well, so. Okay, so you heard uh, a dispatcher proactively called in. She says, I'm coming in. We've got another dispatcher coming in. Carly, that is not your experience with a critical incident that you would have more more dispatchers come in, is it? No, you were working with whoever was on shift. And if you were short that day, you're short that day. Yeah, that's uh, that's my experience, too. Uh, occasionally, you know, we'll have emergency situations. But if we know they're coming, like uh, we're we, like, we'll do extra staffing for Fourth of July if we got a bad storm coming or like when we had the, the riot situations going on, we didn't have too much here, but we had intelligence that basically we knew a bus was coming up from a big city nearby, bringing in some agitators, which is how you know that it's not really spontaneous people who are really outraged about George Floyd. It's a bunch of bought and paid for uh, protesters going out there. Uh, Tansy, uh, what are your thoughts on that, on, uh, on, on that 911 call and then dispatchers coming in? That's not what you have in rally communications, is it? Yeah, we, it, it, it is. Um, okay. Raleigh's like, um, 
I mean, their dispatcher community in Raleigh is like super tight and they're yeah. tight with the cops too. But yeah, I remember when we just had this last officer shooting a couple months ago um, and the officer was shot and killed in his car here in Raleigh. And, uh, you know, uh, dispatchers were like staying over. Other dispatchers were like, they were switching their schedules around, rotating schedules. They're like, all right, this dispatcher is already working it. And they're already working with, you know, because the the shooter wasn't caught immediately. The, the shooter ended up uh, shooting another cop and being um, shot into a barn. But oh my gosh. Uh, there was just a lot. They had canine units from several different agencies on the ground. They had uh, 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 two, uh, like a murdered brother, I think. It, it, it was more than, it was like, I think five people, seven people total got shot, five dead. Oh. Um and so the, the, they didn't know if there was a suicide at one, one, one call was like a suicide ended up was not a suicide. It was like, a, it was related to this call. I don't know. It was all chaos, but each dispatcher had their own shit going on. And um, I just remember them coming into my distillery and having like a kind of like a wind down afterwards, like, like mm-hmm. two days later. And they were telling me, they were like, yeah, man, like so-and-so stayed way late. And so-and-so came in early to help with this and to get this ball rolling. So yeah, it's all very, very tight knit community for Raleigh when it comes to yeah. dispatchers. How many are typically on duty in Raleigh at a time? I don't know because we have fire, fire, and like they have like districts, and you know people work different districts. People work. I, I really don't know. Um, I really don't know. I think you have like two dispatchers per district, maybe, mm-hmm. um, or, or like one per district. But then I, I, I really don't know. Okay. Well, here we have we here we have two on duty, and they're doing fire EMS. Way police. more than two. Yeah, here, here we have two guys who are basically, uh, for lack of a better term, they're getting their butts kicked. There was one part of a phone call I wanted to play, but I didn't think it would translate, so I'll just explain it to you. But at one point, a dispatcher is calling out. He's calling someone, I think, on SWAT to come in. And the phone's ringing, and you hear the ringing sound, like when you call somebody. And you hear this. Because that's the only time that he has to stop and collect himself and just try to calm himself down. He is getting his butt kicked so, so hard that the only time that he has to essentially take a break is when he can't do anything is when it's between rings. Uh, We're going to bring on a phone call here from a police chief wanting a briefing. This is both hard for the chief. Obviously, one of his officers is down and he's just finding out. This is hard for the dispatchers who have had no time to tell anyone. They're trying so hard to get EMS, fire and other units out there that uh, admin's mad that uh, they're left out of the loop. We have an officer involved shooting. Um, your officer was involved. We're not sure what the status is right now, but 608, and we know for sure 614 were um, down. Um, okay, was anybody going to call me? Or? We're trying to do that. Sorry, we're trying to get everything. It's crazy in here right now, so there's just two of us, so we're trying. I get it. Okay, thank you. All right. So... Uh, he's stressed out because one of his officers is dead. I can understand that. But I, I venture to say when he says, I get it, I don't think that you do, Chief. And maybe you do. Maybe you've got a background in comms, so I don't want to judge you too much. But these two these two dispatchers are trying so hard to prevent this from being an in-line-of-duty death if they could save lives that they don't have you know, time. I, to that's like way. such like that's the that's the the power struggle, right? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to to ever comprehend like leadership, Um and like higher management, higher leadership in the police departments, because like at what point did that guy lose it? At what point did that guy not want to be a part of the solution and decide that he's going to be a part of the problem? Like, why is it a real leader's first instinct is not to be like, well, why didn't you call me? Your first instinct should be like, I hired you. You're I'm all smart way. enough. 
I'm sure there's a reason. So what, like, let's go there. Like, let's have some optimism. Like, Hey, so um, I get it now that everything's clear. Thanks for giving me a heads up. You know, like you should just assume that they were doing the right thing and that they had good intentions. It's like, if you post something on social media, I don't just assume you posted it to be a dickhead or you posted it. You know, I, I assume there's a reason why you posted that and that, you know, hey, John, what what did what was that last reel about? Oh, well, you know, there was a thing in the news and this this made sense to what's going on in the news. Okay, great. I'll go and watch the news. I know there's a reason. Yeah. I know there's a reason. My, my, but, it, you know, this chief is like, and you didn't think like you, you guys were going to call me? You know? Yeah. Fuck you, guy. Fuck you, guy. My <laughs> first my first instinct would be where, and I'm going to go get in the car and go there. Carly, uh, have you uh, have you had to deal with, with angry administration before? And, and how do you deal with, with that when that happens? When, when yeah. you, especially when you feel like maybe they don't trust you to do your job. Cause that's how that would have made me feel. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, our, we had one good Lieutenant and one that we just didn't really care for. And he was the one that was on call. And so once we got everything going where we needed to, and there wasn't really much we could do until people got on scene, we made the call to him and let him know, Hey, we have an officer involved emergency, do what you need to do. And so he came into the office and I wasn't the one that called him. So I don't know if he asked where, I don't know if he asked who, but he had come in and it was still during COVID. And so we were supposed to wear masks, but at night we didn't have any management on. So yeah. when our supervisor left, he was like, okay, you guys are free now. Like it was when a joke. The way the kids will play. Yeah. And he was more pissed at us for not wearing a mask. And he had to call the higher ups and he took his off to make his phone call and then reamed us for not doing it. And I was like, at that point, I'll take the paper because I need the fire department to hear my location mm -hmm. of my guys that need help more than I need to follow your policy on that. And I, I will justify that. I know that would activate Drew. Drew is always one of these words. He, he, he hated SOPs and everything getting, getting in the way of common sense and doing what was needed to be done. That was something that he constantly rails about on this show. Uh, Eric, thanks for your thought on that. Like I said, it, I, I, I'm angry that, that, you know, he goes, you didn't think to call me, but I'm like, he did just find out one of his officers was dead. This is a small department. I do want to have a little bit of empathy for him, but he made a good point, Eric. We'll go ahead with the second 911 call here. And then there's only one more after that. Barron County 911, where is your emergency? Has it been reported that there's a police shooting south of Barron? We are aware of it, ma'am. Thank you. Are they getting barricades up? Well, they're trying to control traffic, yes. Just stay out of the area, okay? Okay, yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, uh, my name is Julia Lopez with News 18 in Eau Claire. <laughs> I'm going to turn you back to the sheriff's office. One Fuck moment. You, bitch. Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's hey, my I'm a vulture. I'm a vulture with 25 ABC. <laughs> Just doing vulture. I heard you got a fucking dead one. Heard you got one still warm. Wanted to know if I could swoop in there and fucking hate him. Yeah, uh, it's kind of amazing that, um, you know, they they will call and then they'll call for the rest of the day. Have you no soul? Have you no fucking soul? Like at what point in like grade school did you decide I want to be a fucking soulless cunt for a career job? Like, like no self-awareness at all. Do like, do none of these reporters, it's the same in every city. Like and all of ours were just as bad. Um, just absolutely soulless vultures. Uh, with no self-awareness whatsoever. Did their parents just not, you know what I mean? Well, I, they're the same people that would be taken out to dinner and would order the most expensive thing on the menu. 
Yeah, they'll call their parents the, didn't teach them any better. They'll call the rest of the day. They don't. I'm not sure they understand that they're actually talking to the dispatchers who are in the same room who are trying to send officers fire EMS. Um, it's super frustrating. Um, and um, how do you not lose it? Uh, well, you heard exactly what she did. She said, "I'm going to transfer you." So she she hears it's media, hits wow. a button, sends it over to the sheriff's office. The sheriff's not going to be there to talk about that. There's no public information officer on a Saturday at 3 p.m. That rolls over to a voicemail. The sheriff knows he's going to have to talk to the media. He's going to have messages from these people at some point, you know, and, and he's not going to be doing that, you know, right after this happened anyway. He's going to go collect those messages, figure out who needs to call back. He'll probably just issue a press release that covers everything. Um, but the media will call right away. And I've had it before where we've had critical incidents. And sure enough, um, you know, the, the media is on the phone and they want answers. I've even had it before where media, I say like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't have information to disclose to you. The reason for that is like, first of all, it's not my job. I'm not at liberty to do that. And uh, I was giving the business about how I was violating America's First Amendment rights to know what's going on with. Priorities. I try to get a, I, I, I put in to get a news helicopter away from a suicide jumper that I had. And the suicide jumper was like, get the fucking news out of here. And I called and I asked if the news could, uh, I said, like, listen, our jumpers requesting that the, the news media chat was going to responded that uh, it's public air and they have the right to be there. Yeah. Like just uh, soulless vultures, man. I understand that they got to they chasing the news of their, their, their job. But I mean, again, you're calling the dispatchers. You're, you're a terrible the, human being. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like if, if that's the career path that you choose, it's like being a politician. It's just like you woke up one day and it's like, I want to be a piece of shit when I get older. There's definitely, you know, you can have integrity and be a journalist, but, you know, it doesn't seem like it's very common practice. Carly, what is your experiences with uh, media calling you? See, ours knew that they weren't allowed to call into dispatch and they would still call in hopes that they would get a newer dispatcher that didn't know better that would give them some information. And we all knew better. None of us were going to give any information. And they Charge were one of the misuse of 911. Right. They were one of the only ones we could just hang up on and say, wait for the facts. Yeah. Like you'll get the press release when it's your time. Like we don't want you anywhere near what we're doing. Um, I'm going to bring on one more phone call. Uh, we're going to talk to Abby. Abby's been briefed on this case. Again, we're not live, but we like having uh, phone calls here in comp center. So I'm going to bring her on the, on the line now. Uh, Tansy, do you, have you ever had any more direct interactions with reporters or anything? Anybody come to the crime scene and, and interact with you? Oh uh, yeah. Every, every time, all the time, every case. I mean, it seems like that they, they were, they were there. We're going to see if uh, Abby will answer the phone. Hey. Hello, John. Hey, Abby, this is John at Com Center. How are you doing? You got Eric and Carly here. They can hear you. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing all right. Are you finishing up that work that we did for Patreon? <laughs> Was that supposed to be me? Uh, you were, I'm doing it too. Uh, by the way, your check's coming. I saw a night shift last night. You made a little comment <laughs> where you do for, for me for free. Uh, Eric, Eric and Carly and I just got done finishing down, breaking down the case out of Barron County, Wisconsin. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, issues, uh, I know you won't be able to hear the reply, but you can watch this later and be a part of the show. Uh, what were you, what were your thoughts? I know that you had some concerns about the rifle fire and the officers initially, but anything else strike you? Well, I'm, first, the first thing I thought of was the Kyle Dinkeller case. I think Eric would know that case. I was wondering, given they knew this man was already dangerous, did they use sufficient tactics to keep themselves safe? I know that she called for backup for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I think no. I think in short, can she hear me or no? She can't um, hear you, but, but at, at, I can hear him. Oh, you can. Okay. Hear him. Go ahead. Um, in short, hey, I'd, say, 
Hi, Abby. I'd say in short, no, they, they didn't use the right tactics, but I, I also think that they used the right tactics given what time we're in. The 2020s is very, you know, I, I it's very confusing to cops, right? Because in my day, 2016 and, and earlier, that's the traffic stop you could just pull your gun out on. And, and, you know, maybe you were a confident cop and you could pull that gun out and hold it behind your, the small of your back where they couldn't see it, but your gun was in your hand and you could approach the car. Uh, maybe you're a little bit more brazen like I am. I just put the gun in, in the center of my chest and walk with it at the low ready. Um, I know it's a little bit escalatory, but I mean, if you want to escalate it, go ahead. Like, I'll just lay you down. That was always my attitude. But I had this, like, we were, we literally went through a five day training called the warrior mindset. And it's where for five, for like two days, they show you every video of every officer being murdered. Um, and it makes you feel shitty and people quit. Um, you know, my, my buddy that I rode with the Academy every day, this is the last like two weeks of the Academy. He quit because of these videos. Um, and then the last three days of that training is teaching you how to not be that victim and how to have a warrior mindset and to be, you know, a fighter. And that's when, you, you know, you're, you're learning all these different extra techniques that the state doesn't, doesn't just require. So it's added training. And a lot of it was, you know, how to talk to people and, and, sternly into you know whatever but you know in this case yeah i mean these guys like nonchalantly are chilling like walking out of this car their guns aren't already out you know their first their first instinct is tons of radio traffic um and while mm. he's talking on the radio he's not looking at the aggressor and the aggressor was shooting and moving so while he's mm -hmm. trying to get behind a truck and talk on a radio um you know and reload all at the same time it's not an incompetence issue it's he hasn't been trained to go, I need to win this fight and I need to win it right now. And I don't need to be mm -hmm. worried about the radio traffic. Nobody's coming for you. Like fucking win the mm -hmm. fight by yourself. And I, I, when you don't have that confidence and you're scared, your first instinct is give me more people, give me more people. And I think that's what we're being trained in 2020s is you've got time. You've got, you've got multiple officers. Why couldn't you just back off and call more officers? Well, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's been ingrained and indoctrinated into our brains that we should be relying on other people and not like, no, I'm off. I'm Superman. I'm officer Tansy. You know, you pull that rifle on me, dude, I'm winning. I'm winning right now. And I'm going to win big. I'm going to shoot you 15 times, reload and shoot you 15 more. You know, we don't have that mindset anymore. It's just like when we watch this case, Abby, you'll see that they wait for his shield while this guy is laying down and the rifles down by his side. I mean, uh, you know, my instinct would be, my rifle's up, pointing at his face. I'm walking towards him. I'm saying, look, I'm coming towards you. You're under arrest. If you move, if you flinch, if you have an involuntary spasm, I'm putting yeah. one between your eyes. That's on you. Here we go. I'm moving. Yeah. Don't move. You know, and in this case, they they don't do that. They wait for a shield, yada, yada, yada. And I think it's just the time they, that we're in. When you say they wait for a shield, they wait for an officer with a shield? Yeah, to approach the man who's already down. And I get it because that's by the books, right? And like we're so focused by the books. I think that was part of the problem with Uvalde. Um, you know, I don't think it's all the problems in Uvalde, but I, I just think we're just so wrapped up in since 2016 after, Fer you know, 2016 is when Ferguson happened, I think, right? 2016? Is it? A little earlier. When which happened? 14, 2014, Ferguson. 15, 14, I think. Yeah. You know, after 14, you know, everybody just started re-questioning the way that they do everything. And, you know, by the time that this happens in 2023, I, I, you know, e even when I left in 2019, 
uh, rookies were just so obsessed with what does the book say versus like, well, what does your instinct say? You know? Yeah. But, and uh, the guy that walks so up, the guy that walks up saying, I, I've got lethal, I've got lethal, but he's not yeah, in a uniform. Why would anybody else have not lethal? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I think, like, I think he might've been off duty or SWAT or possibly a detective. Basically he was a cop yeah. who was nearby who could respond. Right. Right. And then they seem to not be sure that the subject, I like it when he says the bad guy sound. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do. Um, That's cheeky. <laughs> but the, the painful part there too, is they can't render aid to these officers until they can be sure this guy is down. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah that's... I would have come up with it. I mean, honestly, that whole, he's moving, bang, stop reaching for yeah. the gun, bang. I think that's when you push those limits, but I'm, I'm, I'm a piece of shit. Um, I think I, I honestly, I think I would have been the cop that, that did that, but um, not everybody's like me. I think back in 20, I think if you would have had cops from 2012, they would have done that. They'd have been like, yeah. he's moving. I could see a state's you know. attorney office though, saying you were out for revenge. That that guy was neutralized. That there was no way to do it. And uh, that yeah, probably you played... could take that fight. You could be like, oh, I saw him move his fingers, you know, blah, blah, I, blah, but, blah. right. But it should that, but that dialogue shouldn't be playing out in your mind as you're doing that. And unfortunately everything going on in the news and everything we do to hamper police officers and all the politics and everything, every time police officers do anything, there's a timidity there. And there's a hesitance because is this going to ruin my career? Is it going to, am I going to go to jail? Am I going to be charged? And I think that plays out in everything now. I think that's what it was from the beginning of this case. Like all of it was that, um, you know, the, the book says, you know, he's got warrants. The book says to pull him over. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, it just sucks, man. I, I feel bad for those cops because like being a cop, I couldn't do it. Like I was the rookie that like I would have gone insane with all the rules and the weird nuances to the job. Now I literally would have went insane because my number one goal was never go to jail. Like I won't last in jail. I won't be able to go to prison. It's just not going to happen. It's not me for, for somebody like me. So I'm going to do everything in my power to never go to jail. And these cops have like cops do everything hundred percent. Right. And they're still finding themselves getting indicted for shit. That makes no sense. So I don't, I don't know how to, I wouldn't know how to police with in, in 2023. And, 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 Obviously, cops would not have acted like that 10 years ago. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Abby? I did want to ask you, Jonathan, about the 911 caller. Okay. He was a little slow to get to the punch. Uh, it's like that all the time when someone sees something shocking like that or when they're, when they're in panic mode. Number one, they, they lose their orientation. They don't know where they're at, even if they're on their daily commute home. They suddenly forget we're all where they're at. They can't yeah. tell I know that jurisdictions, this may mean different things to uh, to Carly or to Tansy, but they forget north, south, east, or west. They have no idea which direction they're going. Well, we had a call recently on the interstate, right? And we were like, okay, well, are you going northbound or southbound? And they're like, how the hell would I know that? And it's just like, well, you know, this interstate going northbound is actually the name of the road, and it's a discrete road from the southbound one, and it's just trying trying to figure out where people are at. When they're is in it that, getting colder <laughs> the further you drive? <laughs> Eric, I kid you not. I've asked people before, like it's it'll be like 6 p.m. And they're like, uh, yeah, I'm following a drunk driver on this road. OK, which way are you going? East or west? Because I need to know if like should I send a sheriff's deputy to intercept or a police officer? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, OK, look out your windshield. I'm like, OK, do you see the setting sun? The sun <laughs> has always set in the west. If you see, if you're, if the sun's in your eyes, you're driving west right now. And you, you just <laughs> or you know, it. like it's 2023. Look at your dashboard. It fucking right. tells you which way yeah. to go. 
John, I, I have to tell you, I wouldn't know which direction I was going. Well, that, that's all right. Things are a little bit different out, out here in the country. But <laughs> but, when, but when you are driving around, and Abby, you, you used to drive in the era of maps, you would have to know, like, if you needed to get on I-94 east or west, right? Like, you would know those well, are separate roads. I just do what Eric does. I look at my my rearview mirror and see what it says. Yeah, which, yeah. But but the guy but the guy's like, I'm sitting here and I see this dog. Yeah. And then, oh, and an officer's down. Yeah. It's like, oh. how about lead with officer down? That was exactly our, our thoughts. Yeah. It's funny that you. Uh, you, you can definitely tell that that's shock though. Like that's just like fucking the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even comprehending yeah. what he's looking at right now. Which yeah. you know, yeah. you got to you know, you, you kind of have to empathize with that because like, but people like aren't used to seeing that kind of stuff. Like it is, it is crazy, yeah. man. And people say like weird, dumb shit when you're, when you're even on yeah. scene, you know, like, but, yeah. um, no, I like it when, like when there's somebody with no head and they're like, is that, is he dead? He could get better. But downtown Raleigh is definitely different than uh, Barron County, uh, Wisconsin. I would wager that most people out there do know the difference between east and west, but it's totally disorienting. Uh, I don't know if you have any questions for Carly. She's a dispatcher formerly out of California. I don't know if you have any 911 questions for her. She is here if you wanted to talk to her otherwise. Hi, Carly. I guess I should have asked you that question. Do you want to respond to that? 911 call? I had the same feeling you did. The dog part threw me. I wanted just no fluff and just tell me even what road you're on well that's 2023 yeah. guys like yeah. everybody cares way yeah. more about their animals than they do human beings like even my little brother is like my my daughter was uh cuddling on my chest and he was like oh i love it when my cat does that i'm like though your fucking cat this is a human being your cat doesn't even compare but like everybody in 2023 is obsessed with their pets and their animals so this guy's first like bleeding heart thing to say is like i'm at this scene it's horrific but man there's a beautiful dog it's a laboratory he's telling a story every every time people call they're telling a story isn't that right carly wouldn't you agree with that that they're 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 they're, sh they're sharing with you the most exciting part of their day which was this emergency now they've uh, answered the own call of being a hero which dialing 911 makes you a hero in their minds and they're here to tell you all about it there goes my hero <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Abby, thanks so much for uh, answering the phone and making this a genuine comm center experience. We hope to talk to you soon. Thank All you right. for calling. All right. Take care. Have a good day, guys. Yep, bye. bye. John, today's show is brought to you by GhostBed.com. Uh, mental health, good mental wellness starts with a good night's sleep. Uh, I would I would assume that this suspect did not sleep on a ghost bed. Obviously, he did not sleep on a ghost bed because if he were sleeping on a ghost bed, he would have had the rest in the right mind to decide that his actions were terrible ideas. Uh, if you want to support a company who supports a show like this, I really encourage you, if you're in the market for a new bed, to try out GhostBed. They're beds that are made in the good old USA. 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 I always wanted USA. to do that. USA. USA. Gosh, you guys are pumping me up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they have 0% down, 0% financing. If you, have, uh, if you have Carly's dispatcher credit, um, you oh. can get one of these beds for zero down, zero percent financing. Um, they have the adjustable base, the cooling sheets, that cooling technology. So if you get hot like we do in North Carolina, you can stay cool, like up in West Canson, around in South Dakota, uh, up there by uh, by these hosers uh, <laughs> by in the, the north. The Canadians who love our show, <laughs> the, like the Canucks, uh, that cooling technology will always keep you chill. In the moment, um, ghost bed pillows, listen, if you're a dispatcher, sometimes you're going to have some long nights in that dispatch communication center. 
if you're going to get snowed in, if you're going to be there for the night, take a little piece of home with you. You can't obviously bring your ghost bed mattress into the dispatch center on one of these snowy nights, but you might be able to bring your ghost bed pillow in there. Uh, you get one of these horrific scenes, as I hear on Com Center so much, somebody's uh, blown their head off or lit themselves on fire while on the phone with you, and you need to just crawl up under a table and cuddle a teddy bear. Teddy bear was not going to do anything for you. But you lay your head on a ghost bed for 40, 45 seconds, four minutes, take you a little NASA nap if you can, uh, and you'll be ready to go and doing the Lord's work in no time. Uh, so thank you so much, ghost bed. Head over to ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Right now you can get 40% off. Um, almost site wide. Those deals are out of control. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have such a huge following in Canada. I, Carly, you'll appreciate this story too. But I, I, I go to work, and all of a sudden I have a message on my phone on Instagram. Our comm center doesn't have a problem with me using that as long as it doesn't interfere with work. And I got a message from this guy. He's uh, he's one of our Canadian guys. He goes, "Hey, uh, I'm out with a guy from Washington, and I and our dispatch can't figure out how to run his uh, his driver's license." I'm like, <laughs> "Well, you know, name and date of birth usually." do it for you and he goes well he's not coming back my name and date of birth so uh he he tells me what the uh the oln is and i'm just like uh that oln makes no sense to me i don't know if you run a lot of washington (laughs) olns out there carly uh maybe maybe you've seen them uh so i'm talking to him and i'm like okay i'm helping a canadian police officer do a traffic stop like what are the rules here for like me giving him (laughs) information like to a foreign country if i tell him how to run a washington oln is that treason you know, because like, what if the American citizen like ends up going to jail because you know I gave like criminal information? So I'm like, man, I should probably ask. Yeah, Putin, Putin calls you. He's like, hey, um, I got some misdemeanor weed in a vape pen from a girl. Doesn't matter what her name is, but um, what's the policy at the gate? Is this on her? Is this on? So, so I said like, um, I'm going to look up the Washington help file, which is something that doesn't make sense to police officers at all. But basically, I figured out. That in the very screwed up state of Washington, asterisk is a totally legitimate character for an OLN. Letters, numbers, and asterisks. Washington, get your shit together. You cannot have punctuation (laughs) in an OLN. What's next? You're going to have pound signs and ampersands. And I wanted to share that story. I said that I would, but I'm going to get a challenge coin from him shortly because I've conducted my first international traffic stop. Hashtag (laughs) asterisks matter. They do matter. They probably have that shirt in Washington. Yeah. All right, guys, anything else for the comm center? Anything else for Drew? Uh, Eric, do you have a preview of uh, tomorrow's show on Friday? Yeah, um, we'll be going over, again, the stop um, that led to the Holtz call case. We kind of, like, built up the scene here, and now we're going to go over the stop in the Holtz call case and then the initial interviews by detectives, Um, and it's just going to be very intense, and we'll see if the Holtz call is guilty or not guilty. It's a big case breakdown, so we'll see you guys tomorrow um for that thanks john for having me on yeah. i'm starving after all this podcasting i'm famished i'm hungry and i think too. my little brother's gonna me take too. me out to lunch so yeah you should go to that one place uh that you took me uh, is drew gonna be back on friday or are you by yourself or what are you doing um i uh, <laughs> i'll call you Okay. All right. Maybe if you need a dispatcher's perspective on something that has nothing to do with dispatch. Well, he did do a traffic stop without calling it in. So I might be able to talk for about five minutes about that. Sure. Sure. All, All right. right. Man. I will talk to you guys on the next one. Carly, thanks so thanks much. Guns up. Thank you Get for having up. me. Good night, America.